We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. We're here. I wish I could give this feeling. I wish I could give this feeling. What up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Corner Podcast. By now, you know that I'm one half of the show, Kel Dansby. Yep, and it's Andreas Hale. And this week, we're back talking UFC, boxing, pro wrestling, and of course, some hip-hop. Huge news in the hip-hop community. We'll get right into that. But just to let you know what's on the show, we're talking about the past two weeks in the WWE. That's Roadblock, Raw, the road to WrestleMania, and how it makes no damn sense. We're talking boxing and Roy Jones knocking out a fan, talking the UFC in New York, Conor McGregor, Cat Williams pulling some MMA moves, everything on today's show. But first, we have to pay respect to hip-hop legend Andreas Hale. You wrote the article of articles, the first joint. I've seen a ton since then, but you put yours out quick. Let the people know what went down. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, we've had the passing of Fife Dog. Um one-third, well, one-fourth of the original Tribe Called Quest. Uh, man, that's, that's just a tough one, man. That's like a loss of my childhood right there. Uh, the piece I wrote, you know, which I saw a lot of people wrote similar type pieces. I, I can't really call where they got some of this information from, but it seems like really similar to mine. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, just how Fife changed my life, man. You know, Shout out to Complex. <laughs> but it was like, you know... Uh, when I was a kid coming up, Fife really changed how I listened to hip hop. You know, he was the first cat that would say things that I would go back and be like, damn, I can't believe he said that. Like, busting nut inside your eye to show you where I come from blew my mind as a kid. You know, like, <laughs> and, you know, being like uh, maybe 10, like 13, not even, not even 13, like 11, 12 years old at the time and hearing that. And then 
understand what a homophone is, where you use a word that sounds like a word with a different meaning. Um, you know, his verse on scenario, uh, when I first saw him on the, the joint bugging out, man, I mean, Fife just meant everything to me. Uh, he was a cat that made me want to rap as a kid because that's what impressed me about MCs is cats that, you know, can rap, but can say things that I wouldn't even be able to think of. And that's what always impressed me about Fife. And everybody loved Q-Tip, but, you know, I always felt Tip like was mostly the voice and Fife was just the true battle MC. That was the glue that kept Tribe together. There would be no Tribe without Fife. There wouldn't be a lot of rappers without Fife. And um, to hear that he passed away at 45 years old, man, he's still a young cat. You know, type 1 diabetes. Um, man, it just hurts my heart. It just hurts my heart. Yeah, I mean, I feel exactly like you. It, we're in different positions because obviously you listened to it growing up and it affected you. I went back to listen to it. But growing up in New York, everyone knew Tribe. Tribe formed new york you know that whole movement um and just knowing like what they meant and i remember being young like young young four years old five years old and my uncle chilling with them and this is how new york was back then like people would just come to your block it didn't matter they could have a single they could be world no world renowned at that point but they'd just show up and be like what up grab a plate from the barbecue chill at the um you know, chill at the barbershop, and, and that's what they were doing, so I remember, like, you know, Fife being around, Q-Tip being around, um, the whole leaders of the new school coming and chilling, I remember all of this stuff, and to know, like, yo, Fife, Fife was my mom's age, like, wow. to know that it could be gone that quick, like, people I saw growing up are leaving the earth is crazy to me, because I still feel young. Like, these were the people who were just the cool kids, if that makes sense. These people were 20 when I was a kid, 21. They were the people just running around having fun. And to know that, you know, sadly he passed away, it was, it was crazy. And like you said, Q-Tip gets a lot of the notoriety. And, and I like Q-Tip a lot. Um, but Fife, he, he bought the first, to, to me, he was the guy who can blend comedy with real hip-hop, with real bars. And he just flowed in between so seamless. Yeah, and I mean, he's he, just, you're right, man. I mean, he treat rapping like a sport. Like, he, to me, he was a guy that was always competitive on the mic. And, like, that's, that was the epitome of what a battle rapper was. You know, like, when I was a kid, you know, listening to Rakim and, and Cool G Rap and uh, KRS-One, a lot of that stuff went over my head in terms of the poetry of it all. And, but with Fife, it was, like, in your face. Like, the punchlines, the one-liners... You know, like there was just so much that he could do as a, as an MC that you could put him on any corner and any face, you know, any part of the world and he could battle anybody. I mean, and, and that's one of the things I wrote in my piece on Two Dope Boys, like me trying to be a battle MC when I went to Morehouse. This dude showed up on our campus and menaced everybody. <laughs> and nobody expected him. He hopped the wall with his little backpack, little midget dude. I think he had a Yankees ball cap on. I'm getting ready to jump in the cypher thinking about, I'm about to do some work. You know what I'm saying? I got my punchlines. I'm ready. This dude jumps in and I'm looking. I'm like, yo, it's Fife, like one of my idols. And then he like disappeared in a cloud of smoke and I never saw him again. And it was just like cats like that, that could rhyme like that, were just amazing. It meant so much to hip hop. And the, the thing is, is like Tribe's catalog is so deep. And they changed how hip-hop was, you know, like I said, they changed how I listened to hip-hop. Um, not just the jazz samples, but what Fife did, you know, what Q-Tip did, the abstract. Like, you know, People Instinctives, uh, Travels, uh, Midnight Marauders, which is my favorite Tribe album. Thank you. 
<laughs> That's, I mean, I love low end theory. Everyone says low end theory is better. I'm like, ah, I rock with Midnight Marauders. It, it just Midnight Marauders was just, I, I guess it was the time. It's the same thing, like when I talk about Ice Cube and what um, Death Certificate meant to me. Like, a lot of people love Kill at Will, but like Midnight Marauders was something that I just adored, like award tour and. You know, electric relaxation, of course. I mean, Low End Theory was phenomenal. I mean, these are all phenomenal albums. These all end up in like my top ten to fifteen albums of all time because I just I burned Tribe the hell out when I listened to it <laughs> on tape. But, yeah, on tape, I beat it like yo. My rewinds buttons was getting punished, um, and it's just it's just sad, man. It's, it's it's real hard. It was a real hard pill for me to swallow. I couldn't sleep that night. Because um, just thinking, like yo, somebody that's so young, you know, your childhood is kind of ripped away from you. And you see, you know, people like Donald Trump still alive and Fife has passed away. Yo, Trump ain't never dying, man. <laughs> just, just let you know. They'll encapsulate his brain in a robot. Oh, my um, God. Before we get into our pound for pound list, tell me that you have some of these songs from Morehouse Days. Tell me you put something on wax. Can, can we get a track to nah, play on man. the podcast? Yo, that stuff is... That stuff is old news. I got like one joint and I have no idea where it's at. We like, got to find that. That's The people will demand that after this episode. We got to nah. hear you bar for bar, yo. We Nobody hear wants it. to hear that. Nobody wants to hear that. Everyone like, wants to hear that. Yo, if you want to hear that, <laughs> just bombard Andres Hale's Twitter. You know where to find him. Make, yo, him, got, make him bring that track back out. I got so many texts and, and you random people like, you rhyme? And I was like, yo, that's kind of like, that was my thing about hip hop. everyone rhymed. Like, exactly. If you grew up in the 90s, you got a track somewhere. Yeah, you rhyme. So it was like, for me, you know, like when I heard Fife and it made me want to write and it made me want to have bars and then then I wanted to write about the people who had the bars. That's just how it changed. I was like, I'm never going to make it in this industry. It's too many kids that rap. So I was like, I want to write about the rappers. Word. Um, That's exactly how it happens. Um, I'm telling you, yo, if you find a track, bring it in. I'll go to my old school MySpace music. I got the link. Don't ask me how. I'll pull one of the joints when I was rhyming, and we'll put them on the podcast. Oh, my God. And it's not going to be pretty, but we'll throw it on a podcast for the nah, people. It's, it's not going to be pretty. It's going to be ugly. It'll be our commercial break. <laughs> we got we to do that for, for the culture. But um, our pound for pound list this week, you know, to honor Fife and just the whole movement uh, Tribe had is our favorite, not the best, our favorite five Tribe Call Quest songs. Um, I'll start it out. I always go five to one. So five, bugging out. Uh, to me, it's one of Fife's best songs. Oh, yeah. That's, that's, I mean, that's the joint that, yeah, that set him off. That, yeah, that, I mean, just in the, the video, just how mm-hmm. he was kind of like floating. I was like, what? Um, so bugging out. Uh, four, to me, is Suck a Nigga, which is hilarious. Um, and don't ask me how many times I got in trouble for singing that shit. <laughs> so just running around PS41, shout out to New York and just teachers wilding out on me. Um, three, award tour. Uh, everyone loves award tour. Just great song. Um, two, Bonita Applebaum. To this, to this day, I can sing that song. Like, let a girl with a fatty walk by. Uh, the song right. just comes to mind. And number one, Scenario. I, I think it's their best song. The Buster Verse is just legendary to me. I tweeted, I was like, yo, this Buster verse is one of few instances in hip-hop where you get perfection. Just perfect timing, perfect flow, perfect verse, impact. It was just like, this guy just killed it. And it made Buster Rhymes a star. So. Yeah, um, no, I, I definitely. Um, that's my list, 5 to 1. Man, it's impossible for me to do a 5 to 1, but I'll try. I mean, number one is scenario. Um, 
just like I said, when they were like, if it wasn't for Fife, there wouldn't be Buster here to hit the Grand Slam. Because, I mean, Fife referencing Bo Jackson, uh, again, the Buster Nutter side, your eye joint. Yeah, Scenario is my favorite. The best posse cut of all time. I don't care. Like, you, nobody can argue this with me. One of the best <laughs> rap videos of all time. Like, it, it is, that is the epitome of what Tribe did. Um, number, number two, ugh, I'd probably say Electric Relaxation because I wore that song out. Um, I love that joint. You know, just the production on there was crazy. Um, number three, ooh, might be, uh, damn, man. It might be Check the Rhyme. Um, I love Check the Rhyme as a kid. Um, number four would have to be Bugging Out. And then number five, man, I'm just Benita Applebaum. But these things can go anywhere. I mean, like, Once Again was one of my favorite joints off the Beast Rhymes of Life album, which apparently nobody liked. <laughs> um, but yo, it, it's hard to pick a bunch of tribe songs that are your favorite. And yeah, I, I mean, my pops I, is gonna kill me because I didn't put I left my wallet and El Segundo on my list. That's oh, like good. his number one song from Tribe. It yo, didn't even make my top five. It, it's so hard, man, because like I said, like there was so much great music that came from Tribe Called Quest, and I got a chance to see him perform live before Five Pass out. He, actually, out in Vegas, I got him to see him perform live, and it's just like, man. You know, rest in power, Fife, man. It's, it's, he'll be sorely missed. Definitely. Um, so let's move on from, you know, the hip-hop conversation. We got to talk MMA and UFC. You know, it's what keeps the lights on around here. Yeah. Uh, and on a lighter note, did you see the stupidness Cat Williams did? Yo, what's wrong with your boy, man? Yo, he's <laughs> fighting seventh graders. Yo, it took me, first of all, I saw, like, the Instagram clip first of this kid, you know, kind of rolling up Cat Williams. But it was like 15 seconds, so I didn't see what happened before that. So I had to go to Worldstar. Not even go to Worldstar. I had somebody send me the link because I refused to go to that website. Thank you, and, thank you. And, <laughs> I was about to question your Yeah, your but then life. I saw Cat Williams stole on this kid? Yeah, like the kid, okay, the kid aggressively walked up to Cat Williams. Um, the kid kind of wanted beef. Like you could see him like up in Cat Williams' face, and then Cat Williams tried to throw like a few punches. The, the stand-up game was horrible. Um, and then it cuts, and then you start seeing like where the kid has him in the clinch. Uh, shout out to everyone who checked out my BSO article yesterday, where I put like a funny MMA spin on it, and I broke it down like it was a real MMA fight. Shit's hilarious. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the kid's clinch work was nice. He went for the judo throw. Instead, he landed the trip. It was just just good execution by this kid. Um, they ended up rolling on the ground. By the way, they're in the same weight class. If we take age out of this, the kid might have had the weight and reach advantage. Wow. Um, yeah, and then Cat was just all messed up on the ground. It, I feel like his cardio was like McGregor. He smokes too much weed. He gassed early. Uh, he tried to, you know, he tried to shoot for the double leg. Ended up getting a trip. It was all bad. Kid went for the rear naked. Kid had some decent jit skills though. Which comes to the point of everyone needs to do jujitsu training now. It, it, any fight, UFC, real life, everyone's catching the rear naked and getting choked out. Protect yourself, people. Go take a class. There's UFC gyms everywhere now. Man, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't understand what's going on with Cat Williams, bro. Like, why he needs help? All, why, why are you surrounded by a bunch of seventh graders in the first place? And then. Maybe because um, clearly you shouldn't have been there to be speaking to anybody, you know, knowing your problems with drugs and whatever the, the issues are. But then, like, yo, I, a kid walks up on you aggressively. 
Um, go tell a parent. <laughs> like, go do. They don't steal on a seventh grader and then get rolled up. I don't like honestly. To there's a part of this that I I can take Cat Williams side a little bit because I don't know what he was supposed to do when he was getting choked out. You know, I like he was tapped. This- I mean, somewhere there was a ref. Like this dude who looks like Herb Dean came over. And and prematurely broke up the fight. The kid was working. I'm telling you. If you look, he had one hook in. The left leg was in. He was going to try to roll him, put the second hook in. He was working the, the wrist, prying the wrist apart, about to sink in the choke deep. Because he had him like half Nelson. But you can tell he's prying the wrist apart so he can get that other arm over. Like, he had legit skills. Either this kid's the most natural seventh grader in jujitsu ever, or he's trained somewhere. Yeah, well, whatever happened, yo. Cat Premature is- stoppage. He's got to get his life together, bro. He's got to get his life together. This is like it's, his third ass whooping in two weeks. Yeah, it's, it's getting ridiculous, man. I mean, somebody needs to help Cat Williams At out. At the Beanie Seagulls show, he did like a weird McGregor stance, ended up getting stomped out. He, <laughs> he, he's on it, threatened like five women at gunpoint. Cat, yeah. Cat's lost his mind. Yeah, he's a wild boy, man. I hope he gets his shit together, but you can't just be getting choked out by seventh graders as a grown-ass man. I don't care how small you are. You got man strength. You got daddy <laughs> strength, son. You can't get that kid work, man. That doesn't make any sense. Oh, it's funny. Uh, LSN, you know, uh, member, Combat Jack, was talking about it yesterday, and he was like, yo, the dad owes him the fade, too. Oh, yeah. I was like, damn, the dad, too? Like, the seventh grader handle work already. Like, yep. if you can't handle the son, the dad's going to wreck him. The dad can't offer him the fade, too. I understand, like, someone's fighting your child, but he had enough embarrassment. Yo, I mean, yeah, but you just don't put your hands on my kid. Like, I, you're going to get work. Somebody to, oh, man. <laughs> I can't even talk about Cat Williams. He lost his damn mind. Let's start. Yo, the entire world lost his damn mind this week. UFC approved in NYC. Um, Fine. MMA in general. Bellator's going crazy. World Series of Fighting. Everyone wants to go there now. Um, Chris Weidman posted a video in Sarah Longo gym. They all went nuts, you know, Millie rocking and everything in there. It's a celebration, but at the trial itself, crazy shit was happening. Well, yeah, those cats, I mean, it just kind of shows you how the, how niche that MMA still is because even though they lifted the ban, it only took 19 years for New York to lift the ban on MMA, but some of the things that these people said were out of this world. Like, what? Rosie O'Donnell's brother. Or oh, God. Or cousin. Whatever he is. Rosie O'Donnell. I think he's, our, his, he's her older brother. I'm pretty sure of it. And he's lost his damn mind. Yeah. Na- nearly naked hot men rolling around. Gay porn with a different ending. That's what he called MMA. Word. What, just to give clarification, he is an openly gay person. Which makes this even more offensive. Yeah, because I, I, like, like, I don't know. Why what are you would watching? you just stereotype that? Like, I'm not questioning that he knows the ending of gay porn. I don't know. So he, he may know what he's talking about. But it's not the example to bring up at that time. I, yeah. I, I don't know if he was... At that point, it just got weird. It's like, so are you pro MMA or get like I was very confused. Yeah, do you want to watch it? Yeah, like I, I don't, I don't understand. Like, I don't is know this... what we're fighting against here? Like, uh-huh. Yeah, I don't know. Then, then Charles Barron, who's always been a progressive African American, who's talked about you know reparations and things of that matter, compared it to slavery, and 
I don't I don't see that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think Conor McGregor's a slave right now. He's living pretty well. Yeah, and I don't just th- look at his Instagram. We got a Rolls Royce. I think he's doing okay. Yeah, no no fighter who competes in the octagon or the cage or wherever that you're fighting MMA is doing it against their will. And nobody's doing it to make somebody else a bunch of money, even though it, ultimately that's what you do. But that's like the NBA, the NFL, and everything that's else. That's every job. Yeah. You know, everybody's a $40 million slave at the end of the day. But, yo, like, how do you compare this to slavery? I, I don't understand. Like, the, the mentality of these things, you know, there was uh, Ellen Jaffe, another Democrat, said that, uh, you know, the fighters are maimed and sometimes killed. When did this happen? Yeah, like, I, I think she mistakenly went to watch... UFC like 191 and ended up watching Troy or Gladiator and was like oh shit this is the UFC and she just thought like they had new fight kits or something because I've never seen that no I haven't seen that either somebody else um I believe oh, the it was other a- chick she said uh that it's a breeding ground for sexual predators she's yeah. like MMA gyms are where sexual predators go to you know prey on children it's like, yeah. you know what? Sexual predators can get to children anywhere. That's why they're sexual predators. Yeah, exactly. They <laughs> like go to elementary school. Yeah, they don't have to go to MMA gym. Yeah, they, they can try to teach. I mean, one, I write for BSO. I know all the crazy-ass stories going on in this world. I, I, when I'm writing my articles, I come across them on the website. There's at least two stories a week about a teacher getting arrested for having sex with a student. At least. So it, MMA gyms are not necessarily the problem. Um, growing up in New York, they may want to take a closer look at the Catholic schools and the private schools <laughs> before they want to point the finger at the MMA gyms. There's a lot of shit going in, on in New York that they can really focus on and ban if that's the criteria. Yeah, I like this thing was just insane. Just even though they passed this bill, which with a vote of one twenty three to I mean one thirteen to twenty five, which is overwhelming support of MMA in New York, finally. Just to hear the things that people that were against and what they were saying and forgetting that, you know, boxing is still legal, uh, football is still legal. I mean, come on, man. Like, y'all got to cut it out. Um, so, so, Kel, let me ask you, what does this really mean at the end of the day? I mean, we get to see UFC at Madison Square Garden, but does, that, does it really change much? It's great that we get to see it in New York, but it's not like, you know, it's going to take away. I don't think it's going to take away from Vegas getting still getting the biggest fights. Not the biggest fights, but we're going to see... Kind of what the WWE has done with SummerSlam in New York, where New York is going to get a big fight once a year, and it's going to be a marquee fight, and it's going to be an event. So we have the July fight in Vegas. Maybe every, you know, January 1st, it'll be the New York fight. Yeah, that's and possible. people will go, they'll watch the ball drop in Times Square, UFC will do all their stuff in Times Square, and then you have the fight there every New Year's. And yeah. they make it into a spectacle, kind of like WrestleMania and all this stuff, and, and they take over, quote-unquote, New York once a year. Um, it's easier for the European fans to travel there. Uh, I'm pretty sure Connor will be there quite a bit. I'm not sure if we'll see him in Vegas as much as we thought we would moving forward. Um, it, it opens up a whole different world. Yeah, I mean, it's, like I said, it's great to see it. Um, sorry, like New Jersey, like now you will not get another UFC for a long time now. <laughs> but uh, you know, it's going to be Barclays in the Garden moving forward. But it's good that they're having it. You know, we we get to see some of these guys fight in their backyard. What's all? What's been strange to me though uh, is that you know that Chris Weidman has been kind of the biggest name that they talk about coming out of New York. 
why haven't we talked about John Jones fighting in his backyard in New York? Because no one associates John Jones to New York. What are you associating with? New Mexico and cocaine. Well, well, well. <laughs> it's, just, <laughs> it's just the two things that come to mind. I mean, you look at his brother, sure, uh, Chandler Jones went to Cuse. They, they have that connection that New York field. No one remembers that. Like, now he's an Arizona Cardinal uh, after being traded. So they're, they're kind of nomads. No one wants to claim the Jones family. It's probably, you know, attributed to the way they walk around and their actions and, you know, just their air of kind of being better than people. Even though I heard the older brother is pretty pretty normal. But um, outside of that, you know, John and, and Chandler aren't the easiest people to get along with um, from all indications. So no one's trying to claim them. No one cares about them being in New York. John Jones going to New York is like anyone going to New York. Those people don't see him as like, yo, you're our fighter. And he should be. But he doesn't stand up for them. He, he spent, you know, seven years of his career standing up for God and not repping where he was from. And that ended up being a sham anyway. So no one cares about John Jones there. Mm. So with that being said, I mean, the first uh, card in New York is first, uh, this has to be extra motivation for Chris Weidman to win his rematch with Luke Rocco because he probably should be the one headlining a New York card. But if he loses, then who do we go to? Oh, they'll go to McGregor. Um, as soon as, you know, it looked like the vote was going to pass. I was like, okay, so we need John Jones versus Rumble and McGregor versus Frankie Aldo. Frankie Edgar. Frankie Aldo. <laughs> hey, listen. Uh, you Might as well be both. the same Triple person. threat. Yeah, triple threat. Um, but Frankie Edgar, because Frankie would bring that New York crowd. Connor would bring all the Irish people on the short flight, and he'd bring the Boston crowd down. And there's nothing better than a New York-Boston rivalry. I don't yeah. care what it is. That's true. Um, so all the Irish from Boston coming down. Frankie and all the people, Brooklyn there, when Biggie hits, it'll be nuts. Put that in the Barclays. I don't even care if the first fight's in MSG. Um, and then if you want to put Weidman versus, you know, a, another contender, I, I don't think he's going to have the belt. So I don't, I don't know what I to say. I don't think so either. I, I mean, we'll talk about that as a fight gets so closer. I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, Maybe he'll fight Yoel. We'll see if Yoel Merrill ever comes back. But, uh. Nah, who we'll see. We'll see who he fights. But um, speaking of Connor, because we just you just called uh Frankie Aldo. So <laughs> the the news is is that Connor McGregor is going to fight Nate Diaz again at UFC 200 at welterweight, and I hate everything. Which was about shot this. down yesterday, by the way. Well, um, in which you know he was on Fox, uh, not McGregor, um, but Diaz was on Fox, and he talked and. He gave, you know, candid remarks because it's, it's Nate Diaz. He's not going to hold anything back, you know. And he was talking. He said, we're talking about a rematch. People want to fight. He doesn't care about belts. Connor doesn't care about belts. The UFC cares about money. Um, and I know you have a strong opinion on them holding up, you know, the title and, and these divisions. Yeah. But they, they're devaluing the belts. They don't care. It's about money first. It, it's the Mayweather route of going about things. It's boxing. It's, you know, I'll forfeit my belt. doesn't matter. I'm here for the check. Um, and Nate said he doesn't want an excuse, though. He said he was prepared to cut to 155 before. He's done it easily now. He knows how to cut. And the next fight will be at 155 because he doesn't want Connor to have an excuse. And I believe him. I believe the fight will be at 155. I believe Connor and Nate both want the shot at the 155 title. So fighting at 155 is more realistic because it puts you in line to get the RDA title shot um, you know, down the road. You know what's just weird about this entire thing is that, you know, 
the fight was contested at welterweight, but you Conor McGregor was fighting a Nate Diaz who wasn't in shape. They were still they were just fat lightweights that night. That's all everything they were. Both of them were fat lightweights. Exactly, because neither of them were cutting weight. And I really think that had a lot to do with Conor losing that fight because when you're not cutting weight, what are you thinking about? Because most fighters, you go into that final two-week stretch starting to really shed those pounds, and that's, that's your regimen. That's what you do. When you're not doing it anymore, Conor's eating whatever he wants. I mean, I, I think that kind of messes with your cardio, too. You're taking out of your, your routine. So, yeah, these were two fat, lightweights fighting at, you know, at welterweight. So, with that being said, I, I really think that this is totally unfair to Frankie Edgar. Um, I get why they're doing it, but if Conor loses a second time to Nate Diaz, then what? Uh, then he has to go defend his title. Because, once again, it's, it's just a title. They made their money off of two huge fights. Then he becomes... You know, I mean, he's not going to be any worse than RDA, right? He's not going to be any worse than Demetrius Johnson or even any of the other lighter weight champions Um, than Dominic Cruz. He's not going to be a a lesser draw than them, even with two back-to-back losses. He's going to be another champion. He's not going to be the special, the notorious Conor McGregor, but he's not going to be, you know, your least drawing champion. Well, People no, of course not. But, I mean, you're, you're, you're absolutely killing his momentum. Oh, like, you lose a megastar. Yeah, because if you lose twice to Diaz, and, and it, another thing that concerns me is the fact that if he's competing again at lightweight, can he make 145? If, he, if he's doing this a second time, how difficult is it going to be for him to cut those extra 10 pounds for a fight with Frankie Edgar after losing twice? to a guy who was ranked no higher than six in the lightweight division. Yeah. And it, mentally and physically, it's going to be interesting. Frankie fights at 145. This is what he does now. But for, you know, it's like kind of moonlighting as a, a welterweight than a lightweight. Now you're going to come back? You know, I, I just don't even know how he'll handle that weight cut. You know, he's not getting any younger. And it doesn't that, get any easier. That may be the problem for, you know, UFC 200. A lot of people aren't discussing it, but everyone assumed that he'd defend the, you know, the featherweight title at 145 against Aldo, um, or even Frankie, and it's just like, yo, he just fought at 170, so in three months, he has to prepare his body to make that complete weight cut down 25 pounds, it's a lot, Um, when you only have to go down 15 in three months, it's a little easier, so he has to get rid of that muscle that he built up, you you have to break your body back down, and it it takes time, so maybe he's like, you know what, I can't do that, I, I can't do it in three months. But if you give me a fight at 155, so I got to break my body down 15 pounds in three months, and then the next three months, you let me break it down another 10, then I can defend my belt. But then you yeah. got to limit him. That you, you can't go up, you know, uh, to 170 again. Whoa. Like, yo, you, you can go up 10 pounds now. That's it. Man. Like, you, you know your zone. So here's, here's the question. Connor beats Nate in a rematch. Then what? RDA. Okay. So, even so, even though so now the title's being held up again, is that where we're where we're going to with this? No, because I, I I firmly firmly believe RDA and Khabib will be that next fight next um next fall. But if RDA and Khabib fight on the co-main of Connor and Frankie, you you leave it up to fate. You say Connor, you win, you get the people who just fought underneath you. You lose, it's an immediate rematch because that's what the UFC does. Well, so it's it's Connor's world. Yo, Connor, you defend your belt successfully, then December, January first, we're reing up. It's just a year later, but we're we're gonna 
turn back the hands of time. You're going to get the shot at 155 at whoever wins on your card. And, and you pace them together. Well, two things. One, the timeline's kind of messed up because, I, first of all, I don't think Khabib is going to fight RDA at 200. Khabib's got Ferguson in, in May. No, uh, no, in won't... the fall, I mean. Oh, they, you, they in, fight the fall. in the fall. So RDA's going to get, like I've, I've said this before, he's going to get, I figure he's going to get Eddie Alvarez. Eddie Alvarez is the number one contender. They'll probably fight at 200 on the undercard or, yeah, they'll probably fight at 200 on the undercard. Um, but it's just the fact that this, the featherweight title is going to be held up for well, it's not that long when you really think about how long the heavyweight title gets held up often. But but think about what Aldo had. Is it any different? Well, that's Aldo that's what went I'm a year without defending it twice. So that's Connor's what... not you know holding it up any more than anyone else. He just defended it in December. Well, the argument there is that Connor's able to fight. Like you know, Jose was injured, and if he could have, he could he could have fought. If Connor's able to fight, and he's not defending his but title. But December to September, that's not crazy. No, it's not crazy. By but no if, means. If, if I'm Frankie Edgar, because everybody's waiting to fight Conor McGregor because he's the, the champ. And he's able-bodied and ready, able to fight, but he's fighting in a different weight class. So if he fights Nate Diaz again, and let's just say he wins via decision, five-round decision in UFC 200, who's to say that there's not going to be a trilogy? Who's to say that you know, RDA is going to be ready for a fall fight? And who's to say that Conor's going to want to defend his title? It's just... They, the bottom line is I think you're going to have to have an interim title fight sooner or later. And if it's not at 200, it's going to have to be sometime this summer. That depending interim on title how- f- just tag is, is weird. But, I mean, I understand because they gave Conor an interim title. Exactly. For Aldo. Off of some bullshit. It yeah. was off of some bullshit. So, I mean, you said a horrible president. So, I mean, Frankie and Aldo can be like, yo, we'll fight. You know, yeah. and we'll run it back between us two. But we, we're going to do it for a title. They got to do it for something. I mean, if they, And that'd I- be a FS1 card, by the way. That's how much pull... Connor has because if those two fought for the interim title, it's on FS1. Eh, it could be on the undercard of UFC 200. Honestly, UFC 200 is a, a, just a whole different mess, by the way. Because looking at that undercard and the you know the reports and how it's shaping up, I'm like, eh, like nothing there amazes me. Like, what are they going to sell? Now nah, we'll see. Because if Connor's going to be the sell, but I figure, you know, Misa maybe will fight. Holly will fight. Um, you know, I think we get. Cain Velasquez and Travis Brown, they're looking to do with 200. Does nothing uh, for me. No, nah, but it's just getting Cain back in the cage. I mean, it'll be undercard. It's still Cain Velasquez at the end of the day. Uh, if you get a title fight with RDA, um, and then, you know, you still got Robbie Lawler, who hasn't been booked for anything yet. No, and GSP is hinting at coming back, but his trainer this week says, like, oh, you know what? The belt doesn't interest him. Um, he has, you know... From all indications, he's not in it to defend a title multiple times and have to defend a title. He wants to come back to have fun fights and exciting fights and uh, make money. So, yeah. you know, I, I was of the opinion that he wasn't there to announce that he was going to fight Conor at 170, at 170 pounds, excuse me, at UFC 200. Um, you know, friend of the podcast, Ryan McKinnell, Yahoo, you, I believe you might have said it. Some other people were just like, no, that's why he was here. Like, if Connor would have won, he was going to call out Connor. Um, and now I, I believe it. I, I don't think, I, don't, I honestly don't think George St. Pierre was calling out Connor McGregor. I, I, didn't, I, I didn't think so either. But hearing those quotes from his coach and, and all of these things, and, you know, he's testing out his body and he might come back, but that fight might not be the fight. Like, then what else? I don't know. I don't know. There's I, no like, other marquee names. Like, you're going to go Hendricks? Hendricks just lost twice. That's um, what I'm saying. You're kind of really stuck. And, uh, you know, I don't want to pine 
too much over somebody who's not even coming back. I'm just really interested <laughs> to see what they do with Robbie Lawler because, you know, Robbie Carlos Conte too, I'm all for that at UFC 200. Listen, Robbie can fight anyone. Robbie can fight you in there, and that should be classic. That will not be a classic. I will get ran. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody wants to see that. I mean, Robbie, he just puts on great fights, man. He'll steal the show. You put him on 200, he'll steal the show. It doesn't matter who's in there against him. Um, I don't want to see Woodley. That's what I don't want to see. That poor guy. We've had him on the show. Shout out to Tyron Woodley. Yeah, I mean, great guy. I, I mean, just you got to fight, though. I, I'm of that opinion. You sit back and wait. You know, people know. They've heard me talk about Amir Khan. I have no sympathy for someone who gets passed up when they're just sitting there and waiting. It doesn't matter who it is. He's got to get in there and fight, and he can't wait for a title shot. You know, you got Rory and Wonder Boy getting ready to fight, and they, the winner of that fight is clearly going to be next in line for a title shot. Sorry, Tyron. You just you have to fight somebody. You have to prove your worth. You know, yeah, you got to get it back. Getting a DQ against someone who's just lost twice doesn't do it. Yeah, so none of, none of that really matters. Um, we'll see. This card, we, we still got a few months to shape up, you know, for this card to shape up. And, uh, you know, injuries are going to happen. Things are going to happen. But let's just talk about this card that just passed up. Um, UFC in Brisbane where Mark Hunt hit another walk-off homer against Frank Mir. Yo, it was dirty. <laughs> like, he, he didn't even catch him clean. He grazed him against the temple, looked at him, was like, you don't want to get up? No? All right. And then just walked away. He, he's done. I mean, it's, this is the Mark Hunt that we've come to know. If he's going to connect, he's, gonna, he's probably going to knock you out. And uh, guys like Frank Mir, like Mark Hunt is the ultimate gatekeeper now. If you can't beat Mark Hunt, you don't need to be in the title picture. And that's what he kind of proved to Frank Mir. You don't really belong you know, in the title picture. There's some people that thought that Frank Mir might get another title shot. And that kind of shows you how thin the heavyweight division is. Super thin. But yeah, that walk off Homer, good night. I don't know where Frank Mir goes from here. Um, Johnny Bones needs to move up, though. Come on, Johnny. This is the time. Well, yeah. If Take he gets your belt back and just pull a Connor and say, I'm not fighting Rumble. I'm going up. Well, he's going to have to fight Rumble. I, I don't think he should. there's any way that he should be able to get out of that fight. If he beats Cormier in the rematch, he should fight Rumble and then move up. That's, I mean, there's nobody else for, for John Jones to fight in the light heavyweight Wait, division. He should hold both at the same time, too. I don't want to hear that he has to give up the title. Connor didn't have to give up the title for his title shot. He better hold both, too. Well, if he, if he intends on be, coming back. There's going to be a lot of uh, Mayweather-esque racism articles coming out if Dana asks John Jones to vacate his title. Oh, of course. FYI. Of course. But, yeah, so, so Frank Mir, I don't know if he retires. But I got to talk about the Neil Magny, uh Hector Lombard fight. All right. That well, fight. Lombard <laughs> was yoked, by the way. He's always that big. He's like a little Tyrannosaurus Rex. He's got little arms, but he's huge. <laughs> um, you watched the fight. Of course. Was that fight? Did that fight go on too long? And I'm not even talking about the second round where Neil had him and he, he, it was like 30 punches to the head unanswered. I'm talking about the first round. Other referees would have stopped it after Lombard dropped him in the first round. Oh, yeah. I mean, to me, Neil was still conscious. He's working. He was grabbing at the legs. Perfect no stoppage there. Um, no problem with that. He, he never, his arms never went limp. He was defending himself. He was taking shots. I mean, but people get hit. It's the UFC. He was surviving those. Um, and, and they looked brutal, but he, he got through it. And that's what you want to see. So I, I don't think that should have been a stoppage. I thought that was a good call. Now, one good call doesn't mean that you have to afford the other guy the same leeway. Um, I, I believe that the ref was like, yo, I'd let Neil go, and he came back. 
let me let it go in the second. And that's not how it's supposed to be. No, it's he, different he, situations. That That's like the refs in the NBA. And they'd be like, yo, I called him for a foul, but it wasn't a foul. So I'm going to make this ghost traveling call for the other team. Like, no, like everything's a different instance. The ref should have realized he got punched in the head 30 to 40 times without defending himself. He was flat. Neil was calling over like, yo, do you see this? What do I have to do? And it was for a minute straight. He delivered no punches. He wasn't grabbing at anything. He was flat on his face eating punches. And that's, that's not what you want to see. It's no. not good for the UFC. It was a big card. Um, a lot of people were watching it. You know, my social media feeds were going crazy. And that's the brutality people associate with the UFC and MMA. And that's wrong. Because even people who watch all the time was like, no, this is an anomaly. That wasn't right. But that's the stuff that sticks out into casual fans' minds and say, yeah, I don't want to watch this. It's too brutal. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I agree with you. Um, you know, I could have seen Hector get the stoppage in the first round. A different ref probably would have stopped it. Um, but fortunately, you know, Neil wasn't out. He, he kept his conscious. He kept his senses. He was really trying to intelligently defend himself. Hector Lundbar wasn't intelligently doing anything but getting his ass whooped. And, <laughs> yo, like, I, I'm, I'm watching this fight and I'm like, yo, why are we not stopping it? Because, I mean, we, you want to talk about passing the bill in New York. This is the fight you point at. It's like, this is ridiculous. 40 unanswered punches to the dome. Like, this is CTE issues right here. Like, he's getting, he's getting killed, and he's not even defending himself. So, I mean, you And know, he clearly had nothing entering the third. Nah, he was he, cooked. He was cooked. He burned himself out after the first. Yeah. yeah. After throwing so many punches in the first, he was done. So, to, to let that fight continue was just kind of ridiculous. Um yeah, that is, that's the, not the stuff you want to see. But, I mean, big big win for Neil, big loss for Hector, guy that comes over from Bellator with a ton of hype, loses to Tim Bose, and then he just, you know, he gets popped for drugs after beating Berkman, and then this happens. It's like, well, it's, Hector well, Lombard was not the guy that everybody thought he was going to be coming over from Bellator. No, and, and Neil's on a tear right now. Except um, for the Damian Maia fight. Okay. Don't fight a jiu-jitsu guy. <laughs> but, I, I mean, that's, what, one in, in 11 fights? Yeah, he, I mean, he's been rolling. He, this guy And I, I think he there. wants that one back. I, I think he'll run that one again. I think so, too. I mean, Neil's Neil definitely been on the tear. He doesn't do anything extraordinarily well, but he's kind of like that jack-of-all-trades that can get the job done. Um, he's just... He, his length is sneaky. Yeah, he is. That, that's, it's just... You can't... You can't solve that puzzle. Like, what, what are you going to do? You're not going to take away an 80-inch reach. It's like you're fighting Kevin Durant. Yeah. So worst comes to worst, if he has to run, he can run and still outpoint you because he can just pepper in shots. And we saw that. It was just like, okay, are you going to stop this jab? Like the knee can come from the middle of the cage, hit you in the mouth, and then next thing you know, your back is against the cage because he's that long. Yeah. No, he, he's, 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 the, he's, he's a guy that nobody really wants to fight. But he's, he's kind of stuck between the rock and the hard place because, you know, the top of that division is pretty heavy. And I don't know if he can beat those top guys um, at welterweight. So, you know. We'll see. We'll see where it all goes. Um, but, you know, there was a car that got announced for Vegas. It's weird because we don't really get Fox Sports 1 cars out here. But uh, Thomas Almedia and, and Cody Garbrandt, man, I'm I was, ready for that. I, I'm so happy. I just want to see the trio of guys in that division. Uh, the only one being left out, obviously, is the Funk Master. Yeah, Aljamain. Um, so Aljamain. But once again, one of them was going to be left out. I thought the person left out was Cody because... Yeah he had other rivalries that they could sell. Um, Aljamain really doesn't. 
Aljamain's going to be stuck fighting, you know, someone out of the top five, even though he's inside the top five. It's odd. Yeah, um, yeah. But this is a hell of a fight, man. Great like, fight. I mean, these two are killers in the octagon. It, it's not going to the judges. Someone's no. getting knocked out. I don't know who. Um, it's once again, that's one hell of a month. Beginning with this, and then you get Wonder Boy um, versus Rory, and it's just a bunch of fights. Weidman versus Rockhold, a bunch of fights that are going to end in knockouts, and you don't know which way it's going to go. But you know yeah. it's not going to go to the judges. In, in no. five rounds, you know it's not going to the judges. No, nah, I'm excited, man. Cody Garbrandt is one of those guys I've been talking about for quite some time now. Almeida's got these heavy-ass hands that puts people to sleep. And knees. Um, that knee was yeah. vicious in his highlight. <laughs> yeah, versus Brad Pickett. Um, yeah, I mean, as the fight gets closer, I'm sure we'll talk about it some more. But just to see that the UFC is willing to put two rising prospects on, on the top of a card um, in Vegas, it means a lot, man. And, and it's going to be interesting to see how that entire division shakes out because, yo. And it's a good card. Yeah. Good card. Yeah, it definitely is. Definitely is. So I, that's probably all the UFCs. It's funny. We, have, we didn't start this week off with wrestling. Um, and I guess that's kind of for good reason because the wrestling doesn't act like it's important right now. <laughs> so we're not giving them any love. Um, one thing we didn't talk about in MMA, it's not UFC, but uh, your boy Kimbo Slice, man. He got, he's oh, on the juice. God. Him and Ken. Ken. Ken was on a lot of shit. Yo, but listen. Kimbo's on the juice. This is a waste of juice, right? <laughs> like, I don't like to see juice get wasted. Like, if you go in my refrigerator and you spill my juice for little to no reason and, and just leave it there for nobody to clean up, you're an asshole. So Ken Shamrock and Kimbo Slice both wasted the juice because if, if Kimbo Slice did steroids, I don't see what effect it had on him because he looked There's terrible. There's no steroids for cardio. <laughs> that's, that's what it is. You can, you can punch harder. You can be bigger. There's no replacement for cardio. Oh, my God. And then Ken Shamrock, like, you can't beat up a guy who's clearly smaller than you. Like, yo, his testosterone levels were what, 12 and a half to 1? 12 like, and a half to 1. And plus, he was on, like, meth or something. Some yo, type of opiate. Clearly, he, I mean, if you look at Ken Shamrock's face, he's on something. But, bruh, like, come on. Bellator, not only have, did you, and, and it kind of is like cheaters do prosper because Bellator still wins at the end of the day because they already got the views. Yep. <laughs> like, the views are there. Highest rated uh, Bellator ever. But, I mean, yo, we saw Dada in the hospital for weeks. What if Dada would have died? Kimbo's yeah. going to prison. Yeah, and it's funny because he would have went to prison even though Dada would have died from exhaustion because that was like the worst fight ever. But yeah. I mean, it would have had nothing to do with him per se, but you're juiced up. And you KO a guy who's in the hospital, and he <laughs> thankfully doesn't die. But if that was the narrative, you're going to prison. That was disgusting, man. That was just really – when I saw that both of them got popped for Roy's, I'm like, come on. Come on, Bellator. <laughs> <laughs> Bellator, they didn't care. Bellator was like, yo, we're not testing. We're not doing shit. We don't care if we cut the weight. Just show up the night of the fight and make us this money. That's all they cared about. But the funny thing is, like, when I saw Ken Shamrock, I was like, yeah, he's probably on something. Not Kimbo, though. Kimbo wasn't the guy that I was like, yeah, he's juicing. Like, what? Kimbo? So now we got to go back and look at all his street fights. And we have to wonder, <laughs> yo, what was Kimbo taking when he was knocking dudes out in the middle of Dade County? Word. I mean, there's a reason he hit the UFC. There was a little bit of testing. He couldn't do anything. Um, you, once a cheater, always a cheater, I guess. Uh you you really got to take everything into account, and we know Shamrock's history, man. It is what yeah. it is. He's it is. he's been juicing forever. So yeah. um, we'll take a quick break, come back, and we got to talk WWE. 
and boxing, which is as crazy as the WWE right now, with your boy Roy Jones. Uh, uh, yeah, let's take a break. That guy. <laughs> we'll be right back. Stay with us. All right, everybody, welcome back. Um, we're having a guest come through later, Vegas Dave, world-renowned better, is going to come through, talk about some of his bets, won crazy money on Misha Tate over Holly Holm. Uh, he won probably the biggest UFC purse ever, betting Holly Holm over Ronda Rousey in November. We're going to ask him about all that and all his other bo boxing, baseball, basketball, all the bets. So um, shout-out to Vegas Dave for coming through. He'll be through a little later. But first, we got to talk WWE and all the craziness happening there. Andreas is just lost for words. And last week, we didn't have a podcast, um, technical issues, and just craziness. So we have a lot of wrestling to catch up on. Yeah, so let's talk about this first. Um, the WWE announced that the Fabulous Freebirds, the Confederate flag-waving Michael P.S. Hayes Fabulous Freebirds will be inducted into the Hall of Fame by the New Day. Yo, I don't know if you saw this new uh, De Niro movie. Um, it was hilarious. Like, the, the bad grandpa or whatever. Shit was funny. And at one point, he's, like, hanging out with a bunch of black gangsters. And he's rhyming. I forgot what song it was. It might have been, like, Tupac or something. And he was like, it got to the point, And then everyone knew it was coming. And he was like, can I say it? And they were like, say that shit. And he just drops it. It's like, nigga, just crazy. I, I expect Hayes to do that during the speech. I expect oh the New Day to just be like, looking at him, he'd be like, can I say it? And then they're going to be like, say it. And they're going to play Francesca. And then boom, he's just going to drop it. End bomb right there. Can, can you explain to me, can anybody explain to me why the New Day isn't, okay, I get the idea of the Freebird rule and the New Day utilizing the Freebird rule in present-day WWE is the reason why that they're inducting the Freebirds into the Hall of Fame. That and everyone else hates them. So they probably couldn't find friends. But yes. Right. Because it should have been a Von Erich inducting the Freebirds because the Freebirds, not that the Von Erichs needed help at the time, but the Freebirds were the reason, the most heated feud that the Von Erichs ever had. Correct. And, and that, I mean, that's, that was a few that people were jumping rails to try to fight Michael Hayes and the crew. So they, they could have found anybody. You know, like, I don't know how we, we ended up with the New Day. It's, it's, and then, you know, the subplot of Michael PSA being a racist and some of the things that he said in the past. You know, Alberto Del Rio said things about Michael Hayes. Like, I'm looking at this like this has got to be a joke, right? Like, 
Is somebody gonna is somebody gonna tell me this is a joke? It's I not mean, a joke. Racism, all that stuff. I don't want to say aside, but um, included, they they had an impact in the South, whether they were racist or, or not. I mean, I guess at that time everyone was waving Confederate flags. You know, it, it was a Texas thing. It was a Southern thing. So to see white people waving Confederate flags wasn't out of the norm. It's out of the norm today, but not back then. So I, I'm. I'm not surprised. They probably had an influence on the New Day and, and other black wrestlers and wrestlers in general growing up. Um, I, I thought the Freebirds, I, I thought they were a cool clique. I, I appreciate their contribution to pro wrestling. Um, they weren't the Von Erics in my opinion. They're not like that level in stature, but I can see why they're getting into the Hall of Fame. Um, Hayes was always a weird character to me growing up. I I, I saw him after the Freebirds run and all that, but um, I, I never really liked him like that. But it, it's cool. I understand. The guy could talk. He had charisma. And the New Day just shows respect to that. And they're taking what they did back then and using it for, for themselves. So, I mean, you say what you want. The New Day has bootios and um, drops a bunch of funny stuff because we're hip-hop and we're black and we can relate, but we don't know what that does and how that alienates you know white families today in america um maybe the new day is not relatable they're not racist but they're definitely uh not scared to be black and be part of black culture so uh, if that's how they feel about the free birds and the free birds were just part of southern culture at the time i could see it i mean i get it you know the free birds were southern culture the confederate flags they were southern culture and i'm not saying that the free the free birds the concept of the free birds was racist I'm saying that the backstage politics with Michael Hayes and the run-ins that he's had with guys like Mark Henry, it makes it interesting that they selected the New Day to induct the Freebirds because there's really no connection. And I don't know how we didn't have a Von Erich induct them in the state of Texas. Like, I don't know how we didn't, the WWE didn't find enough money to make this work. Um, well, they probably wanted to go against the, yo, the Freebirds are racist narrative that was going on online. And, uh... Yo, you know what? People are saying that they were racist. Let's have black people induct them. This is Vince. This is bizarre. Because, again, it wasn't, you know, I'm not saying that Terry Gordy or Buddy Roberts was. It was Michael P.S. Hayes, present day, not even wrestling Michael Hayes. Present day Michael Hayes. Oh, wait, hold on. I just got a text that RG3 is going to the Browns. Anyway. um, (laughs) But present day Michael Hayes has had issues with minorities in backstage in the WWE. It's just weird. I don't want to spend too much time on it. Like I said, we've got so many things to talk about, but what? there's a reason why I'm not going to the Hall of Fame next weekend, and not to be just because of this. It's kind of a weak class. Um, Stan Hansen is going to be the last guy in, in, getting inducted, and a lot of people are like, who the hell is Stan Hansen, who's a legend, who used to kill people, by the way, with a lariat? But this Hall of Fame class is just kind of, eh, whatever. I don't care. Yeah, I mean, Sting, who's getting no run, but I guess he's the, the main attraction. Um, I, I'm not excited for it or we're not going to it. So that shows right. our excitement. We'll be in Dallas for WrestleMania. And by the way, if anyone's out there for WrestleMania, hit us up. We'll chill. We'll let you guys know where we're at. We're easily accessible to hang out and talk shit to. So, uh, let us know about our opinions and everything. Come hang out, you know, have a drink with me. Andreas is still, uh, not drinking, but I, I will be partaking in the festivities. So. Come give me a shout out. We'll talk. Okay, so let's let's look. we're we're on the road to WrestleMania. I mean, we didn't talk get a chance to talk about Roadblock and Raw last week and Raw this week. 
Um, Real quick, quick synopsis of Roadblock. It made no sense. It changed nothing. Dean Ambrose and Triple H stole the show, and Roman Reigns can't, you know, keep up with that type of match. Yeah, it, it was. I mean, Roadblock was indeed what it was termed as a Roadblock, which really just stunted a bunch of story, a bunch of storylines that they could have progressed. And now we had like a two week build to WrestleMania instead of the four weeks. Um, so the last two weeks of Raw, it's just been it's been hard for me to believe that Roman Reigns and Triple H is going to headline WrestleMania because Roman Reigns has nothing right now, no momentum. Dean Ambrose ate all that shit up. Yo, he's getting booed out the building. Um, if they if they try to put him on last, he's getting booed out the building, and it better be a heel turn. Um, if if not, it's going to be not. I'm not gonna go out and say it's one of the worst matches in WrestleMania history, like headlining matches, because I don't think so. I think Reigns might put together a good match. He's had good matches. I enjoyed his match with Big Show last year. Um, when he's allowed to just be Reigns and, and tear some shit up, he's okay. He's not the worst wrestler in the company. He can have a decent match with Triple H. The reaction afterwards, everything that was the Seth Rollins pop, the Daniel Bryan Yeslemania, those good moments, this is going to be equally as bad. And it's going to go down in history for just overwhelming boos. It's going yeah. to be 95,000 boos and 300 women cheering because they just want to see him take his shirt off. Well, yeah. So let's, uh, let's kind of recap the last two weeks of... Um, Roman Reigns, as he builds towards Mania, he shows up last week and beats the shit out of Triple H, um, and which was actually a pretty good segment. Everybody got hurt. The referee got hurt. Triple H got staples in the back of his head. Um, and that's, that's the Roman Reigns that works. The Roman Reigns that doesn't say anything and beats people up. That's the Roman Reigns that's always worked. Unfortunately, they kind of took too long to get to this point. They let him cut too many promos. So this week... Roman Reigns has like an incredibly short segment to the point where if you blinked, you missed it when he showed up to interrupt Stephanie McMahon's speech. And then the weird segment where the limo is getting ready to leave and the garage rolls up and Roman Reigns is standing there. Now, the limo driver doesn't lock the door um, or try to run over Roman Reigns because one of the two should have happened. Roman Reigns opens the car door, beats up Triple H for a high second. The car speeds off. That's the end. That's that was the entirety of the heavyweight title picture at WrestleMania in the last two weeks. That doesn't scream to me that this is a main event. No, it doesn't look like a main event. I mean, Taker has to get that main event now. And they they alluded to it a couple times in the package that they had this week, which we'll talk about in a minute. And the package that they had this week, you know, they, Chris Jericho said this could be the greatest WrestleMania. It was crazy hyperbole. Greatest WrestleMania main event of all time. Like they referred to triple. I mean, this. Uh, Shane O'Mac and Undertaker as the main event. And it sure feels that way. But going back to this Reigns-Triple H feud, and I said it before we had our technical difficulties last week, the fact that, that uh, Roman Reigns is entering through the stage, through the regular ring entrance, man, it signals that he's going to turn heel to me. They're taking away that crowd interest for a reason. Not because just the crowd hates him. I think that we're angling towards a heel turn. I, I think so. I mean... Like you said, you called it two episodes ago. Like, hey, he's not coming through the crowd. The day that he doesn't do that is a heel turn. Um, but then I don't know who the top face is unless somehow Rollins is ready to come back as a face, which you've always been adamant about. Um, whether Cena gets put in that position. Because this is a one-off. So we're all talking about what's going to happen on Sunday, but they have to have a plan immediately for Monday. Dean Ambrose. Or it could be Dean Ambrose or Brock Lesnar. You can go either way with that. 
Okay, I'm cool. Yeah, because both of them are over. And both of them are baby faces. So um, I, I guess that works. And you know, that's, that's cool with me, but they better have a plan. Because Kevin Owens is the best heel in this company. I just oh. watched Kevin Owens on Raw take over three segments, and I loved every single part of it. Bro, we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, I, I don't want to, like, that, that I, yeah, we'll talk about that in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> so, moving, so Reigns Triple H just doesn't feel like a main event, but it probably is going to close the show. But if it closes the show, there's just no way that this ends well for the fans. So, if it's Shane O'Mac and Undertaker, which we could talk about the last two weeks of this feud, which has also, to me, lost a lot of momentum because Shane hasn't been believable. They're trying to make him into this MMA fighting machine, and those punches he throws are the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. Yo, his punches are bad. I'm sure Taker can take the punch. Just, just hit him. <laughs> like, he's a big dude. You're not going to hurt him. Like, the, the phantom punches, I understand that they're fast. So maybe he's like, oh, if I just make him quick, people will believe him. No, like, how about you actually hit him? Taker trains MMA. He's been punched for real. You, Yo, he'll he, be okay. He uses a go-go plata. But the thing <laughs> is, is that, all right, so, so last week, Shane and, and Taker and Vince have this weird segment where Shane botches his line early and then proceeds to talk about how he's got to do it for his family. It bordered really corny. And then, you know, he called Undertaker Vince's bitch, and then he's proceeded to throw those lame punches. And then he jumps back and does the Shane O'Mac shuffle, which really made this like a cartoon. And it was ridiculous. And then now this week, they continue it, which it still felt like it had no, it felt like it had zero momentum. And then Vince adds a stipulation that if Taker loses, he has to retire. So now here's my problem with this. If we're supposed to be cheering for Shane McMahon, but now we have the stipulation that Undertaker will retire if he loses. He's not retiring, by the way. He's just never wrestling at WrestleMania again. But, but if that is the case, how do you cheer against Undertaker in this match? How do you boo Undertaker now that you know that his, career, his WrestleMania career is on the line? To me, that's something that, I, and I, I hate the long play, but it's a long play going into next year's WrestleMania. Because if he's banned and crashes WrestleMania, it's even bigger storyline. So if he loses, which by all indications he probably will, um, in, in my opinion at least, I, I think he'll lose. I think someone's going to run in. I believe it's John Cena. No, oh God, no, it's not. It's not going to be John Cena. You've been talking about this John Cena shit for way too long. Yo, Cena's showing up. He's running on somebody. He may show up, but I don't think he's going to do a run-in. He's and doing I, a run-in. What's the purpose of him doing a run-in in the Taker-Shane McMahon Hell in a Cell match? Good question. I believe <laughs> Shane is taking over Monday Night Raw, and I think Cena will be like the face of Monday Night Raw. If there is a brand split, which I hate, by the way, um, that, that might be the way to go. And, and Cena's like the number one pick. Or Cena is standing up for real wrestling. And just Shane McMahon. Like, <laughs> really? John he, Cena, all the people standing up for real, real I, wrestling. Listen, I, you, want to, you, don't, you don't think I know this? I'm just saying. Are they going to pick an indie guy? No. It's John Cena. Once you hear the music drop, if it's in a main event, people are losing their fucking mind. Um, and he run in and just help Shane, who's getting just his ass whooped. And you have the stare down between him and Taker. And even if he doesn't like heal it up and beat the hell out of Taker and, and give him an AA, 
if they're just having a stare down and Shane does a stupid roll up and pins Taker. And then Taker and John are just looking at each other like, you cost me this match. And next year, that's your ass. And then that's it rolls into next year. Cena's showing up somehow. We're hearing that music. See, I, like I've said this before, I think that you know the Hell in the Cell match needs to be overbooked, like Triple H versus Sting was the year before, with the run-ins, I, I, which I don't mind. But I think the McMahon family involvement is going to be key, and I just don't see Cena being a part of this match because it doesn't really make a lot of sense for him to be involved. Um, I mean, but, a t- Taker's playing that heel role. If, like you said, if there's run-ins and Linda McMahon comes out and Shane's again fucking dismantled. And Vince is like, ah, finish him, Undertaker. Ha, ha, ha. And Linda's crying. And she's just like, somebody save him. And then, boom, you hear Cena's music. Hero Cena comes out to save her son from the clutches of death. That shit makes sense. It you just doesn't. need a crying woman. Crying because, woman makes Cena perfectly fine. Because Super John, Cena. Ah, man, I don't know. I, like, there's, there's so many long plays for this. And, and one of them has been... You know, there could be a double turn of some sort where, you know, Vince and Shane are conspiring to get rid of Undertaker and they work together and the authority of uh, Stephanie McMahon and Triple H is thwarted because it, we go way back to where Triple H had to fire Vince McMahon, which was a f- several years ago. And there's been this, like an underlying feud between them. There's a lot of plays we can make, but I just don't the think that the con is real. I mean, it's, I'm not it, mad at that either. But Vince, the thing is, is that Vince and the WWE, they don't they look at things with the long lens. They look at it very short term in pockets of like three months. And how do we book these feuds for three months? So I don't think they're going to look that far back. I just don't know. I just feel like this match is it's it's suffering a little bit because the last two weeks haven't been have they've lost a lot of momentum with Shane. And, you know, showing Henzel Gracie and Phil Nurse, I was like, OK, whatever. Like, we're really trying to make Shane into this fighting machine now. I, I'm not really. I'm not a big advocate of trying to make Shane a killing machine more so than I am just looking at a guy who just wants to fight for, you know, what he thinks is right and putting his dad in the hole is what he wants to do. But these last two weeks just haven't been good in terms of building this match. You know, closing segment, Undertaker, Chokeslam, blah, blah, blah. I didn't mind it. Um, To me, the less we see of them, the better. Well, yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. And then, like, and, them getting... and the opening was Roman Reigns. We saw them for 10 minutes. I'm okay with them just getting 10 minutes of program. Don't feel like first hour, you know, opening, and then Shane comes back out for the third hour closing. I don't need all that. Well, we don't need all that, but it's just the, the weird way this has been handled with the stipulation. And I just, like, I, I, you know, I still think it's going to be find a way to be a good match. I don't think there's any way this will be a bad match. It's way too high up on the card. The profile of this match is probably what this entire WrestleMania is surrounded by. So they, they got to have a good match. There's got to be a few, you know, exciting spots, you know, tables breaking, whatever. Um, but I just, the, the stipulation of Taker retiring, I just thought it was foolish if you're really trying to put Shane over as this guy who's the big underdog. Now you're looking at Taker as like, oh, maybe we got to cheer for Taker because we don't want to see him lose. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's weird. Um, but it all comes down to all these injuries. There's a reason why this match was put in place in, in the first place was because of the injuries and because probably Cena was supposed to be in that spot. So who knows? We'll see how it plays out. Um, and then, next- I mean, we got to talk about KO. Like yeah. we, we have to come back to KO. We have to. Um, KO did an amazing job on Raw. This past week, I, his match 
one was great. But we, we expected that. Him versus AJ Styles, the offense was crazy. Um, that's that's a match I could have saw at WrestleMania and been happy. Uh, the Except for the ending. Sucked. Except for the ending. <laughs> but I mean, this, this whole Jericho AJ Styles thing sucked. Uh, except when AJ Styles came in, in later and interfered in, interfered in Jericho's match, that was genius. But it was uh, bad. It was still poorly done. Okay, let's talk about it real quick. So Kevin Owens and AJ Styles have a match that goes through two commercial breaks. Correct. With a bunch of indie moves that like I don't even think Michael Cole knew how to call them. No. And, <laughs> like man, we need Morrow ASAP. Yeah, we need Morrow talking these matches ASAP. But. The match was phenomenal. And then Jericho comes out with his AJ Styles, and the distraction was too much for AJ Styles. Like, I'm getting tired of these distractions. because the, It's the why, same distraction. Yeah, like, why aren't you paying attention to the guy that's punching you in the face in the ring? Why are you worried about the guy just mocking you outside of the ring? Like, he let go of the calf crusher and ended up getting schoolboy rolled up for the pin. I hated the ending. It was a fantastic matchup until that point. But then the, the tables turned. First of all, Jericho's wrestling Fandango, which we haven't seen Fandango since last year. I didn't even know he was still on the roster. So. Fandango, look, Fandango didn't know he was on, still on the roster. <laughs> this match happens. AJ Styles comes out and gets made look like a tool because he can't do what Jericho just did to him earlier in the show. So it's like, this was so stupid to me. Because yeah, Jericho still getting the win was odd. But, right. Um, I-, I thought it was funny. Uh, it the Y2 Jackass chant is just great. Well, that I mean, there's always going to be Y2 Jackass chant somewhere. It's just a matter of how they did this was, was silly. But um, going back to Kevin Owens, Kevin Owens was brilliant up until the point where for some – like when he booked the three-way match, I thought that was hilarious to put Sin Cara, Zack Ryder, and Stardust in the match. It was like, ha-ha, look at these losers fighting for a spot. And then they get the spot in the ladder match. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I didn't expect them to actually steal a spot in the match, which is odd. Um, but that's, once again, that, not Kevin Owens' That was fault. crazy. Kevin Owens did an amazing job. Uh, he did commentary. He introed them to the ring. He's doing everyone's job. In his yeah. backstage interviews, they don't even put the little guy with the mic. There's no JoJo there. It's just Owens. It was Owens and Stephanie. He's running the interviews. You don't need a middleman with Kevin Owens. And no. he's great, and he can do that. Him and Ambrose are probably the only two main roster guys that don't need the, the alley-oop from someone. No, but can we, can we please talk about this match and why the hell Sin Cara, Stardust, and Zack Ryder are involved in this seven? Now it's a seven-man ladder match? This is stupid. Hey, hype bro, Zack Ryder. Woo-woo-woo. Why, why is he in this match? I don't know, man. Hey, if it means a Mojo Rawley running, I'm down for it. We're not getting that. Stay hype, bro. This not dude. This match, <laughs> this is this is the most overbooked, horribly placed match in the card because why are we why have we not focused at all on Sami Zayn's feud with Kevin Owens? The commentary team's not doing it. There's not a video package surrounding the fact that Kevin Owens is the one to put Sami Zayn out. And Sami Zayn, because of everybody else being involved in this match, he doesn't even get really mic time. They're just trying to stuff a bunch of people to get them a payday on the card. They are, and uh, it sucks for WrestleMania, but I, I think we'll get that that Zayn Owens build up after Mania. But that's stupid because if you want to do that, why didn't you just have Sammy appear on Raw the day after WrestleMania when he has his match with with Nakamura? Because they like, just want because NXT fans will watch the match with Nakamura and pop for Sammy Zayn. 
they want Sami Zayn to get an introduction to the general fan base. But and yeah, that's but the only do, reason. What doesn't make sense is why are we why are we booking this match with guys that don't matter to Kevin Owens? And it's not like we're getting and we'll talk about that in a minute too. A guy like a Kalisto who could have one of those great ladder spots. Zack Ryder, what is he going to do with the ladder? What is Stardust going to do? What, Stardust are, will probably get thrown through some shit. I mean, it's it's just this is just a poorly booked match. The the storylines because the Sami Zayn Owens feud gets lost with five other guys dancing around them trying to climb the ladder to get a title. Correct. And and I'm also trying to figure out where do you place this match on the card? Does it kick off the the show? It's the opening, right? I I, I assume they use it as the opening, just like last year, and it may be a, a yearly thing now. I I don't know, but um, they they want to see if you know lightning strikes twice. Last year, we had Ziggler versus. Uh, Daniel Bryan as the two focal points of the match and they did well and it was those two at the end and it, it built what could have been a feud and they chose not to because of Daniel Bryan's injury so this year I, I think the last two is Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens and they're battling out for it Kevin Owens you know maybe power bombs him off of the ladder I'm assuming a pop-up power bomb off of the ladder which everyone would fucking lose their mind and Sami Zayn's going to take one hell of a bump because that's what Sami Zayn does. And it'll set them up going forward. And Sami Zayn will say, you know, I've been down before. This is the second time you powerbombed me and took my title, blah, blah, blah. And they'll start their program for the next three months. Uh, it's, it's just, this is really stupid because we have the, we have the angle. Owens, Zayn, Zayn getting put so out by Owens. So much history already. The, the story is there. Their friendship is there. Like they could have been running, you know, video packages for the past four weeks about how these guys were great friends and now they're bitter rivals. Like they they could have done all this, but now it's just, you know, it's in a cloud of bullshit. And like again, why is Sin, like you know Zach Ryder? I probably took the spot in Neville, but what the hell is Sin Cara doing there? I, when is the last time Sin Cara has won a singles match? Never. Same with Stardust. When is same with Stardust? When do these guys won a match? Why isn't why don't we have a Wyatt in this match? Namely Luke Harper. Or well, Bray Wyatt. Now Luke is is gone. Um, oh, this is disgusting. That's something else. I mean, Luke looked like he just completely blew out his knee. Um, it, it looked Rollins bad. This is it, I don't know. The, and the, the Wyatts, that's another story in itself. They're they're not even anywhere on the card. They're going to be in the Andre the Giant Battle Royal, where Strowman's probably going to win this damn thing, and nobody's yeah, going to care. And Bray is doing nothing. Um, it's, this is but I, I guess that's due to injury. They they still have big plans for Bray and. People are upset and everything. Listen, Bray's 28 years old. He's the best heel in the company at 28 years old. Bray's going to be fine. Did they, have they booked him you know, wrong? Sure. Have they done that to a lot of people? Yes. Um, it, it's just what they do. But Bray's 28. There's plenty of time for him. <laughs> he's he's going to have a seven-year run as the what top one, two, or three heel in the company. I don't think He'll so. I think fine. the gimmick's getting old. I think, I think everything, like, you got to strike while the... the while the iron's hot, and they just haven't done it. There's with just Bray always Wyatt. there's always something new. Um, yeah, I don't know. Bray is so in tuned and, and smart, just about the world. There's always something new. Like I, honestly, if they just let that man go and, and stop scripting him, it, it'd be so much better. I, I feel like the shit he said against Cena during their buildup was honest to God how he felt, and that's what they need to let him do. And in a year where we're getting Trump running for president and you don't have Bray Wyatt talking about the ills of the world and the stupid shit and the crowd voting for Trump and all these stupid people and our country going to hell in a handbasket, they're missing the boat. Give the man a mic and say, talk about what you feel. 
So that's why, the, and that's where the mistake is being made, and that's why people have just lost interest in Bray Wyatt because of that. You know, Bray Wyatt should be having, you know, the fact that he lost to Cena at WrestleMania and Taker at WrestleMania, and he's not even featured on the main card of WrestleMania this year, you're destroying this man's momentum. You know, you're doing a similar thing that you did to Ziggler when Ziggler was hot. So it's like, it's, it's just a big mistake. Um, well, I mean, we'll see. You know, like this ladder match, whatever. It could be a decent match. I just hate how this thing is being booked. Um, one of the matches that I do kind of enjoy being booked and then took a turn for the ridiculous this week was uh, your boy Dean Ambrose and Brock Lesnar with Dean Ambrose getting the, the spiked bat from the barbed wire lace bat from Mick Foley. But then he gets a chainsaw from Terry Funk. I don't understand the chainsaw. Is he going to use it? I don't He can't use the chainsaw, but it was dope <laughs> to see him just go to town on the table, though. Like, he just revved it up. He's just cutting the table for fun and shit. I didn't mind that segment. I'm just, um, uh, like, the, the segment itself was great. Seeing Terry Funk, and he was like, if I had a daughter, and he just kind of pauses because he's got mad daughters and shit. But um, everything about the, the promo was great, and I was waiting for a branding iron to come out because that's what Terry Funk is known for. Correct. But for him to come out with the chainsaw, you you know we can't use this in a match, right? Like there's no <laughs> there's no possible way that it changed. Like it just took a turn for the ridiculous. So what I figure is going to happen is Dean Ambrose is going to somehow get this chainsaw in this match, and he'll probably cut the commentary table in half. That's what I think is going to happen. Because I, in, if he if he uses it on Lesnar, Lesnar's dead, and we have a completely different outlook on WrestleMania. <laughs> now that's a pop. Um, yeah, I, I just like that they're parading these different hardcore legends. I want to see who's next. Like, bring an ECW guy out and not Tommy Dreamer. Bring, like, someone super dope. Like, where's the Sandman? What is he doing? Um, j- just bring something crazy out. Or just have, like, a really dope montage of, like, Pillman on the screen and then back out and have Ambrose watching it and have, like, an homage to Pillman. Like, the fucking the crazy gun where he's just aiming it at the screen. Like, I want something incredible. I want Ambrose, to me, they're doing it great, man. Just putting him in random spots and around people and having him look like a nut job. It's perfect. Just They're spending no time on writing his stuff or building his match, and they say, just do it yourself. And it's the best thing they can do. Yeah, I mean, they're doing the like this match. I'm looking forward to the Ambrose Lesnar match a lot because of the way Ambrose has handled himself towards the build. However, the ending of Raw with Ambrose ending just kind of looking at Heyman, the match was lame. Like this week's Raw was if to be in Philadelphia was really fucking boring. Like it wasn't, it didn't feel like we're two weeks out from WrestleMania. Um, but for, with that being said, I'm really looking forward to Dean Ambrose versus uh, Brock Lesnar. I don't know who's going over. I think, you know, Dean Ambrose can get killed and, and just go over the same as if he gets the pinfall. Um, but yeah, He doesn't need to win. Um, he's going to put on a hell of a match. And that's what they care about. My only thing is, us being in attendance and it being a street fight, I believe it's going to end up on the street for a good 20 minutes. Well, then we'll be looking at that big-ass screen. <laughs> so we're going to have to watch it on the screen and shit. Like, man, we're going to see, like, six minutes of the match. Three minutes in the beginning. Three minutes at that. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll see what happens. I, like I said, I, I, you know, it looks like this is going to be a really fun match between two baby faces, um, and they can easily be put right into the heavyweight title picture as soon as this match is over. But yeah, the chainsaw was just outlandish. <laughs> like, yo, the chainsaw was outlandish. 
And if somebody gets, gets has that chainsaw used on them, they're going to die. And that's not what I want to see. Um, the I only mean, other thing. Divas is the only other thing. Uh, yeah, I got to talk to Sasha Banks yesterday. Oh, Me and Sasha had a conversation. Bae. Did you tell her she's bae? No, I didn't tell her she's bae. That's your job. I'm yo, not you, gotta, you just got to, like, just right after the joint, just be like, yo, off air, my podcast co-host says you're bae. And uh, she would be like, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> you know, I want to be on the podcast. Someone hit me up. Be like, yo, we'll be in Dallas. We can chill. Uh, it would have been the perfect end. You are the wackest wingman ever. Sorry, dude. You got a girl. What are you doing? Listen, my girl understands that Sasha Banks is bae. My girl understands that if I need a hall pass, the only person I'd ask for is because of Sasha Banks. That's it. And she'd be okay with that. That's wow. a good relationship. And right. you could have threw the alley-oop just in case. We could All explain right. this to my girl after. You never know. Okay. Anyway. Listen, <laughs> you don't know my life. There's, a, there's, uh, you know, there's, don't, don't worry about the mechanics of it. You didn't throw the oop. You're a horrible wingman. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so, yeah, I talked to Sasha yesterday. And uh, the interview will be up on Yahoo Sports next week. Uh, the interesting thing about me and Sasha's conversations, we, like, we were talking about, you know, the build towards the smash, the Divas Revolution, her beginnings, her, you know, like we talked about Eddie Guerrero and uh, Sasha was like, I'm getting ready to cry right now because I had her talk about the day that Eddie died and she went to Raw. Uh, so we may get a frog splash to pay homage to uh, Eddie at WrestleMania. So here's the interesting thing. So I asked if, you know, because she went to WrestleMania with her cousin, cousin Snoop twice. And I asked if she talked to Snoop and if Snoop is going to be coming out to check her out at WrestleMania. Sasha was like, you never know what I have in store for my entrance. And I was like, wait, what? I didn't ask you that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so we might be getting a Snoop Dogg, Sasha Banks entrance at WrestleMania. Um, I'm all there for the live entrances. Yeah, and we know that these entrances are going to be a big deal. The thing is, though, like this is another match that I feel like I'm just, I'm just going to watch it because I know it's going to be a great match. But the build towards it just hasn't been great. They focused more on that four-way Lana recruiting chicks match that's going to be on the pre-show than they have on the title match the past two weeks it makes no sense they these women had a build they gave them time and then they were just like hey after roadblock we're just cutting your air time you guys are good and then be like we're we're gonna push lana and brie bella but now they don't even have a match. Like, the women's tag match doesn't even involve Lana. I don't know what's going on. No, Lana recruited, like, a team so she doesn't have to fight. This is stupid. So somehow but... Emma's up from NXT. Uh, Summer Rae, who I didn't even know wrestled, and Team Bad are against Brie. Paige, which I didn't know she was friends with the Bellas. Uh, the Black Chick, which I don't even know her name. And Alicia Fox. Natty. Uh, good, Alicia Fox. What? And which, by the way, Alicia Fox, shout out to you. You know, sisters in the WWE, but she needs her hair redone. Like, uh. <laughs> like it's bothering me in the front right now. That's neither here nor there. Um, yeah. So that's that's the match, and they're devoting a lot of time to that match, and I don't understand it. I don't like. The, I don't understand how you can have three hours of Raw, two hours of SmackDown. And under service, a majority of WrestleMania storylines. Well, that they, is they bizarre. They do a better job on SmackDown. Tell you, the truth. I mean, I've been watching SmackDown for like the past month. I enjoy SmackDown more than I enjoy Raw. The two hours is perfect. Um, they give the women time to tell the stories. I know more about their story, I guess, because I watch SmackDown. If you don't watch SmackDown, you think they got zero time. 
But every week on SmackDown, they give them some time. They talk. Um, Sasha and, and Becky have a match, and you know they'll you know hang out out there, want to be on commentary or something. They at least always get an interview to talk about it. So it's SmackDown right now is a better product than Raw, which is which sucks because like you know nobody really watches SmackDown like everybody watches Raw. Like the commentary team is better on SmackDown. Everything's better on SmackDown. But I just don't get how you have five hours of television and you're underservicing your stories. Like your stories are not having the angles that they need to have. Um, they're trying to get too many people on Raw. Like there's, there's people I should just not see on Raw. Like Goldust and R-Truth, it's funny. They're not a Raw storyline. They're not anybody's storyline. I could care less about them. But they're all um, superstars. I mean, you got another hour of programming. You got, you got main event. Like there's just, I don't know how you're not really effectively... Dealing with like the, the, the Sasha, Becky, Charlotte stories, there should be a video package surrounding the horsewomen and the Divas Revolution and their run-ins in the past. Like there should be so much more built into this than Is that on SmackDown? They they did that. Was that on they SmackDown? They did? I didn't watch that SmackDown then or fast forward to it. Oh yeah, um, yeah. There was a whole uh, package. Maybe it was last week's SmackDown. They uh they did them, you know, first it was the Charlotte versus Sasha beef and how they were kind of friends and then becky sasha they, they ran through the whole the whole storyline wow i think i think i just didn't watch that smackdown shows you how important they treat smackdown yeah like Smack- honest to god like if, if people and the majority of wrestling fans don't watch smackdown you just never know you're just gonna show up and be like oh divas match bathroom break and be highly upset see like I, the way i watch smackdown is i turn it on on monday i never watch smackdown on thursday i usually watch it on monday or like friday when i'm working and i just leave it on and then i just go about my business doing what I got to do. I don't pay it attention like I pay attention to Raw. And then I miss stuff like that. But, you know, anyway, it's just like everything here is just fe- feeling half-baked as we head towards WrestleMania. Um, and we'll, we'll talk a lot more about WrestleMania next week because we'll be out there, obviously, and we can give our, our final predictions and everything else. But, uh, dude, let's uh, move on to boxing. Yes, boxing. We got to start with Roy Jones. I know there's like some real shit to talk about in boxing. I'm not here for the real shit right now. Roy Jones fought a fan. He fought a guy with amateur boxing experience who was 5-3 and three or 6-3 and three in MMA and knocked him out with one punch in the second round and proceeded to say, you don't challenge Jordan to a one-on-one match in basketball. Can we, <laughs> can we, can we start a, a, a petition for Roy Jones to retire from boxing? Because there is no, this is doing nothing for his legacy. And I know it's his legacy, but now I'm like, I'm, I'm taking this shit personally. Because I can't. <laughs> He's I ruining can't, your childhood. He's yeah, ruining the childhood. I can't go and tell people that the guy who just knocked out a fan on television for 11, not even on television, on the internet for 11.99 used to be the best pound for pound fighter in the world. Nobody's going to believe him. What because kind of card was that? It like, was a you are fight card where Mysterio wrestled Kurt Angle and we got that weird grappling match with Bisping and Chael Sonnen. Like it was, it was all the way. Did back. you watch that? No, absolutely not. And okay, Jim Ross I didn't did watch commentary. It. And Jim Ross was doing commentary. Oh. That thing was a mess. I, I refused to watch. I watched the little highlights or whatever, but like Riff Raff interfered in the in the wrestling match. Like it was really Yo, stupid. Yo, Riff Raff actually wants to be a wrestler. He's been wanting to be a wrestler. He's yoked up. Have you seen that guy lately? Yeah, yo. He, he's, he's gone all in on the wrestling. T- I'm not mad at Riff Raff. If The Miz can be an honest-to-God wrestler, Riff Raff might have something. He's, yeah. He might be a better wrestler than he is rapper, and that's Probably. not hard. Probably, but, but let's get back to Roy Jones, man, because this guy is a—he's a clown to me now, and I—and it's hard because like I loved Roy Jones growing up. He was my favorite fighter, 
And watching him now, it's like, man, like what? How broke are you? Because he's still a good commentator. He still does well when he's on HBO next to Lampley. I I wrote the article when it came out a couple months ago about the Russian guy who had to pay $2.5 million to the IRS because Roy Jones couldn't pay it. But how much is he getting paid to fight? I mean, he's just paying off the debt to the Russian dude at this point. Oh, my God. So he's not making anything. The guy paid 2.5 mil in taxes. Yo, can we just go do a GoFundMe to help this Roy out? Because I don't want to see Roy fight anymore. (laughs) A GoFundMe so he doesn't fight anymore. Not to get him to fight. No, So he doesn't fight. No, Roy Roy Jones needs to retire. Um, I I just can't see him in another competitive fight. And then saying ridiculous things like you don't challenge Jordan to a one. Like, dude, you knocked out a fan. Like, come on, man. Cut it out. You got to stop. Um, I wonder how much the fan got paid because I know it was a hundred k if you beat Roy Jones, but what do you get right. paid if you get knocked out? The pay per view proceeds eleven dollars and ninety nine cents. <laughs> so much a boy you got, got. You got the equivalent of a free pay per view to get yeah. knocked out. Ugh, yeah, that makes me sick. Another thing that makes me sick is your boy Adrian Broner and Floyd Mayweather's little freakish feud, and then and Broner will double back on whatever he says, like, "Wow, we're still friends." Like, cut, man, stop. Again, Broner wants that payday. The Theo Fane fight, everything's a setup. He might get it. He's not getting it. Yo, if they, Floyd they, wants an easy 50, Broner's a sell. He's not getting it. Because, all right, first of all, let's talk about what it, what it was. It started with the Broner Walmart video of him just throwing his chains. Now, now, trust me, there's, there's no way that Broner's going to be rich by the time he retires. Because no. there's not much left in his career. Um, but Broner beating Theo Fane is, is a probable, but Theo's very durable. So I don't think Broner is going to look good in this fight by any stretch of the imagination. He's going to win, but Theo Fane doesn't have fun fights. He's pretty boring, and he's not going to go. He doesn't go down easily. But this feud between him and Floyd just—it's big brother, little brother. But I don't think anybody really wants to see that fight. It's like the Andre Berto fight. I don't know if anyone wants to see Floyd come back. I mean, if he's not fighting Triple G. If he's not fighting Canelo again, there's no reason for Floyd to come back. But if he wants 50, if he wants a payday, by the way, Floyd is on one hell of a retirement spree right now. Oh, yeah. He's rich. I mean, what else is he going to do? I mean, he's in Miami flying a different girl out every other day. Yo, he had four girlfriends in Miami last week. No, this no is I know I had to write about every single one of them. Four <laughs> but, fucking girlfriends last week. This is why I say like people are like, Floyd's coming back. He's not coming back, people. He's not coming back. He I wouldn't is- come back either. Why? Why? Like, why would he come back? He's rich. He is rich. And I wrote the story because Abel, um, Abel Sanchez believes that Floyd is laying the groundwork for a fight with Triple G. That fight's not happening, people. It's just not. Yo, I read your story on that because um, I like heard rumblings, but I hate reading stuff off of like Twitter timeline, really, and mm-hmm. having to search different timelines. Uh, you, you put it together in a nice little package. I read it. I was like, oh, okay, dope. I was like, yo, it's not going to happen. And then Triple G tweeted a photo yesterday of this training camp. And I was like, oh, Floyd's never fighting this, man. No. He's, he looks like, like a monster. He is a monster. And, and, and then this... people dared to say Floyd would win easy. Someone on my timeline was like, Floyd gets nine out of 12 rounds. You know, right now, coming back after a year layoff against the way bigger fighter, an easy fight, they said. There, there's a lot of things to that. If that fight were to happen, I never count Floyd out of any fight. But I'm not betting against him, but easy? No. Like, I think this is, I mean, this is not a fight that Floyd wants because why would you want to fight damn near 40 years old against a guy who's killing people and who was a much bigger fighter? 
It's not, it's just not happening, people. It's not happening. Let it go. Let Floyd retire. Let him spend his money. And let's look for the next boxing superstar. Because while we're so hung up on Floyd Mayweather, boxing is falling apart in 2016. It's not having a great year so far. No, it's horrible. I mean, what? Pacquiao and Bradley's going to be the first big fight of the year. And I'm not sure if I have faith in that. To me, it's going to be a downer, not because of the fight or anything. It's because we got to come right back from WrestleMania and go into the fight we build. Right. And, it, and, and I'm going to be just burnt out. Just honestly, I'm going to just be like super done. I'm going to be on my crash. And I'm going to have to go to where? The, the win? Or MGM? Is everything at MGM this time? Yeah, I believe they, everything's at yeah, MGM. Yeah, they made nice. Um, so we got to go to the MGM and I got to do grand arrivals and do those interviews. And then Wednesday, come through for the press conference. And I'm going to just be burnt out. Yeah, I mean, you know, the fight doesn't have a lot of steam behind it. It is the Pacquiao's last fight, but after the showing with Mayweather, a lot of people are just like, dude, whatever. And Bradley, the, the Atlas Road storyline, they're like, I'm, I'm very interested in this fight because I'm interested in how Tim Bradley looks with a full training camp with Teddy Atlas and how that translates against Pacquiao because Pacquiao's that type of guy that hits you and changes your game plan. I'm interested in the fight, but there's not, what's the meaning behind it at the end of the day? You know, if, if Pacquiao wins, he retires and Bradley goes away being 0-3. If Pacquiao loses and Bradley wins, where does Bradley go? Because he's not going to fight Terrence Crawford. First off, he's 1-2, by the way. 0-3. Well, I don't care. He's 0-3. And, and I said that not that, that wasn't a mistake. I said that on purpose. <laughs> like, Bradley has not won a fight against Manny Pacquiao. You know, this is his best chance to truly win a fight. But... Man, it's just there's not a lot of steam on this fight. Like, like Terrence Crawford's getting ready to fight on HBO this summer against God knows who for reasons I don't understand. Um, <laughs> but it, it's because HBO's cutting their budget. And to keep Terrence Crawford happy, you know, happy and active, you got to put him on pay-per-view, which there's just really no way you can make Terrence Crawford to draw on pay-per-view. Victor Postal, nobody wants to see that fight. They're going to have to reach across the Heyman borders and find somebody for him to fight. But anyway, it's just boxing is just in a very weird, stale state. As we wait for Triple G to run over Dominic Ray, we got Andre Ward and Sullivan Barrera this weekend, which nobody cares about. It's just 2016 is off to a shitty start for boxing. Yeah, I mean, and I don't know. Canelo's probably the first fight that I honestly think that can probably pick it up. Um, and that's so dependent on Amir Khan. What if yeah, Khan has a glass jaw and goes out in the third? What His if? jaw looks way better. I'm, I'm going to give him credit. His jaw looks better at 147. Um, I mean, he hasn't fought enough to really test it out. Dude, out, he was getting but. he was getting hit by Chris Algieri. You know, he got you know he got rocked by Louis Colazzo. Um, you're fighting a monster in Canelo. Like it, this is a gross match, mismatch. Like let's not have these people confused. Like we 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 do this a lot in boxing. We we start off saying gross mismatch, but then we let the other guy talk us into believing that he has a chance. And <laughs> I, I don't. At least I don't not see it. to get Molly Wops. Like that's Yo, I think he's gonna get dragged. I think, I think Canelo's going to drag Amir Khan. Amir Khan will dance around for a minute, he's gonna get caught with one punch, it's gonna change his life. I'm definitely guilty of that. Like I listen, I don't I didn't have faith in Amir Khan coming into this fight. But if he can make it to the seventh round, I'd be happy. <laughs> I, like that's all I want. Give me what seven. That's that's what I'm saying. Boxers has this weird thing right now where none of the fights are really all that competitive. You know what I'm saying? Like, we were waiting so much for this Keith Thurman, Sean Porter fight to happen, and now that's delayed until June. Still but, no word of where it's going to be, which is no. Odd. Yeah, and I talked to Kenny, and they, they want it to be in Vegas, but you, you, you know, we don't know. 
We don't know what's going on with PBC and Showtime. Like, this whole thing is a mess. Boxing just needs to get his shit together because Canelo Khan, even though that'll be a big, big event, it's not a big fight. It's a gross mismatch. It's not a fight where you're going in going, gee, I wonder who's going to win. None of these fights are. These, except for Pacquiao Bradley, is probably the only fight that I look at right now, and I go, I don't know who's going to win this fight because yeah, I don't that's know if Pacquiao's going to show up. Pacquiao's injury and exactly. Mayweather loss, and you just don't know what Pacquiao we're going to get. Uh, if we're going to get, you know, you know, Governor Pacquiao or Senator Pacquiao, whatever the hell he is, or if we're going to get, you know, the fighter that he was four years ago, or the gay bashing Manny Pacquiao. I don't know how that guy looks in the ring. <laughs> you know, he might be a different guy. I don't know. I don't know what Pacquiao we're getting, but it's the only competitive fight that I see. I mean, fortunately, you know, we're going to get Chris Algieri and Errol Spence, which I'm looking forward to. Um, well, just to Errol see Errol Spence, Spence is just going to mollywop him too, though. It's it's a horrible mismatch. It mismatches all around. It's it's not as gross of a mismatch as the other fights that I've mentioned. Like Algeria, they're just feeding Algeria to Algeria can fight. Look, look, Algeria's not a horrible fighter. Algeria gave Amir Khan a run for his money. Like they're they're in the same weight class. Errol Spence needs to step up in competition. I understand that fight far more than I understand Amir Khan and Canelo Alvarez. Algeria and Garce, uh, and uh, Robert, the ghost. Are exactly in the same boat as me, and as far as I'm concerned, like they are people where you're just going to need them. You're like, yo, we have a young guy, we want them to fight someone who has a good resume, and they're definitely going to win. Get Guerrero or get Algeria, and that's what they are right now. But I'm Algeria look, I'm fine. Fought Pacquiao, so they're going to feed them to young guys and be like, oh, this guy fought Pacquiao, and he was a world champion before then. And Guerrero, the same thing. Oh, he fought Mayweather. See, but I'm fine with enhancement talent. Like that's what I yeah, that's what the big show is. The big show in wrestling is enhancing talent. You use him to get over talent. They're the big like, show in Kane. Yeah, like I'm I'm totally fine with that because it's not on pay per view. You know, it's a PBC card. It's on free television, and you're looking to get a, a new guy over. I get that, but when you're putting Canelo and Khan and trying to sell this as a competitive fight, no, it's for Canelo to kill Amir Khan and make a lot of money. Like that's all that it really is. So it's like you know Triple G and Dominic Ward. Dominic Wade is another fight where you're like, you know, Dominic Wade, he's not a bad fighter, but we know what it is. Sullivan Barrera is a guy that the war is just going to run over and kill. Yeah. None, none of these things are competitive, and none of them are attracting fight fans and making them say, man, we got a bunch of good fights. Like, the UFC is taking that big event and the competitive nature of these fights over. Are you excited about the Andre Ward fight? I mean... No. no. Why would I be excited? No I one's just, truly excited, but I mean, do you, are you anticipating it? Do you want to see how he looks? Do you no. think this is his – is he still on pace to go at Kovalev? Yes. He, that, that is one thing that's for sure. Kovalev will be at that fight. I know that for a fact. But um, to be excited about it, no. Like my Saturday, if it's a big fight, I watch it live. Otherwise, because I do so many other things with work, I watch a lot of fights on delay and I don't live tweet them. Ward Barrera is a fight that I will probably be watching at like 2, 3 in the morning when my wife goes to sleep. I'm not excited about the fight. I'm going to watch it out of necessity. That's what it is. That's a damn shame. <laughs> Andre Ward has fallen far. Yeah, he's not must-see TV. You know, I mean, I mean, I did the same with the Terrence Crawford-Hank Lundy fight, in all fairness. I didn't but watch that really live. Busy. Yeah, I was busy. But see, when I'm, when I'm busy and there's a big fight, I'll drop everything I'm doing to watch that fight. Like, like to get involved in like Twitter exchanges, to, talk, to analyze the fight. Like, I knew Terrence Crawford was going to kill Hank Lundy. So I just was like, you know what? I'm just going to watch it the next morning. Or like at five in the morning, like when I'm up and doing whatever. But like Andre Ward's not must watch TV. He's not like um 
what do they call it? Like scandal and how to get away with murder things that you need to watch now. So some, nobody yeah, spoils it for spoiler you. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Ward's not that guy right now. This Sullivan Burrow fight's not that fight. Triple G, on the other hand, is a fight I'll probably watch when it happens. Like, because it's Triple G. Wait. I yeah. feel like I have a fight that weekend. We probably do. Oh, we Actually, got Bones we Jones. We have John Jones. So I won't so be watching that. We won't that. watch it live. <laughs> so I'm lying. The bigger event is John Jones, Daniel Cormier. And that's where boxing is losing right now because none of these fights have that whole, I have to see this now. None of them do. Nothing. Without Floyd Mayweather, you really realize how big of a void there is in boxing. And even when Floyd was here, it was just a big event. You know, because if it wasn't Mayweather Pacquiao, like Mayweather Berto, nobody cared about. Yeah. So, you know, it is what the boxer just needs to fix itself. Floyd and got it, out at the right time because it was, it was a sinking ship. He got his dough and he bounced. Yeah. So I don't know, man. Boxing's in a weird place. I love it. I still love the sport. I still look forward to going to a lot of these fights, but it's just nothing that I'm like a non boxing fan. I'm sorry. I can't convince you to watch boxing right now. No. It's like if that was my job, I'd fail miserably. It's that weird like transition period right now because there's stars. There's stars coming. And if you want stars, listen, two years, three years, they'll be here. Um, They just don't know what to do with them now. I'll say this for now. If. Triple G Canelo does not get made this year. 2016 is one of the worst years in boxing. Yikes. There's been some that, bad years. But, I mean, there's always a star at least carrying yeah. stuff. Triple G Canelo has to be made this year. It has to. Boxing desperately needs that fight to happen. And the only other fight that I could say could salvage that fight not happening is Ward Kovalev. But even Ward Kovalev is not as big as Triple G and Canelo. Because if Triple G and Canelo don't fight, we know why. And it's because it's a bunch of bullshit about weight and money. It's just boxing can't have that continue. Like, it's got so many black eyes. You only have two eyes. It's like there's there's so many black eyes on boxing right now. Like, it needs a big fight to pull it out of the bullshit that it's in right now. Or a great heavyweight fight. Like, not not a bullshit heavyweight fight like we just saw, you know, Klitschko (laughs) have. But like a wilder... Klitschko, which wouldn't happen until early 2017, so I know exactly. it's not like 2016 saving, but uh, if Klitschko can bounce back, win the title back, and, you know, if Wilder keeps on going on his pace, that's a huge fight. Because I saw stars come out for Wilder versus Stavern when we were at that fight. Right. And I was like, what? And then you're like, yo, it's heavyweights. Yeah. I was uh. baffled. And I remember, you're like, no, it's heavyweights. Heavyweights still bring these people out. And I was like, yo, he's not even a star yet. No, I mean, that's, that's all true. It's just, all I'm saying is 2016 is a lost cause if Triple G Canelo doesn't happen because there's no other fight on the horizon that people care about except for that one. Nah, that's true. Um, so it's been a long, long podcast today, but we had some catching up to do. Absolutely. Since uh, not being here last week. You got to run because you're always busy. Our guest is coming in now. So we're going to have Vegas Dave for everyone. He's about to sit down with me. I'm going to ask him some questions about boxing and just betting and all sports, UFC betting, which he's hit a ton on lately. And next week, we'll once again be back for you guys. Next week marks our one-year anniversary. Um, it should be a dope show. We're going to be gearing up for WrestleMania a couple of days away from leaving that. Andres is going to be geeked out with all his Yahoo stuff, which is cool. And uh, we hope we can see a lot of you guys there working on some good things. Definitely, man. So enjoy Vegas Day. I'll, you guys will get a chance to hear me next week before I hop on the plane to Dallas. And uh, Kel Handle there, man. Find out how this man makes his bread. So Andres had to run, and that happens often. He's a busy man. But I am here with Vegas Dave, world-renowned for your betting and gambling prowess. So let's start off. How did you get into gambling as a profession? 
Well, growing up, I was always, I never really wanted to work a real job. I was always entrepreneur mindset, and I was living in Hawaii, not really doing anything much in my life. Found out you could gamble on sports, and decided I wanted to go to the mecca of gambling, which is Las Vegas, Nevada. I uh, told my parents I was going to go to school, so I took a $10,000 student loan out, and with that money, I didn't buy books and stuff like that. I went to the casino. I actually went to the Palms, which was down the street from UNLV. Put the whole $10,000 student loan on red. That hit the $20,000, and then my bankroll began. Um, I've never touched a table game since, but that's how the story of myself began with that $20,000 bankroll. And from there, it's just been a lot of ups and downs, a lot of downs at the beginning, but in the last five years, I've done very, very well. So it was complete chance. It was 50-50, you becoming a professional better. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't really thinking. I was only 22 years old at the time, but um, I don't know what made me do it, but I'm glad. And then I just followed sports. You know, I got into it, and like I said, for the first three or four years, I did very, very poor, just like everyone else does. 90% of the people lose in this industry, but, you know, I was able to turn it around, learn how to manage my money, learn how to have discipline, and, you know, blessed with a lot of skill, and you got to have some luck, too. What sports would you say are, like, your big hitters? You need a go-to sport. You love gambling in this sport. Which ones are those? Baseball, for sure. Baseball is the easiest sport to bet on. I mean, in the last five years, I predicted three of the five World Series winners before the season started. Uh, last year was the big record-breaking with the Royals. I put 100000 and won $2.5 on them. And everyone thought I was crazy because I haven't won a World Series in 30 years. So um, this year, um, I'm pretty confident who's going to be in the World Series already. Um, so I'm looking to make some more money this year. Do you watch spring training? Like, like you're in front of your TV all day to pick these things out? Do you take patterns from last season? How do you go about that? Um, I watch a lot of baseball. I don't really don't pay attention to preseason because a lot of the players aren't trying. The starters are resting, and a lot of the younger players are getting an opportunity. Uh, a lot of people are trying to avoid injuries. So I pretty much followed the, you know, what they did towards the end of last year and anybody who they picked up in trades or got rid of or acquired, which is key, too. With that being said, do you, I don't want to say hedge your bets, but is it like going into next season, you're like, okay, these three teams are going to be in the World Series. Let me put a little bit of money on each, and then the payout's going to reimburse you. Uh, what I, that's what I did for March Madness, actually. For, for baseball, I just did the Royals. Um, the Broncos, um, that I just hit $2.3 a month ago, that was my number one team, but I had a backup for a little bit less, which was the Arizona Cardinals. I always have a backup. So uh, baseball, this year I'm not as confident like how I was with the Royals. So as of right now, I have it narrowed down to um, two American League teams and one National League team for the World Series. Wow. Uh, in other sports, we saw and we've heard of you hitting in the UFC and picking fights. That's obviously two people going in there. Anything can happen. How do you narrow down those bets, or do you always take the underdog to win? Uh, I mean, the last three UFCs, I've done very well. You know, three, um, I hit Holly Holm, loving uh, to one underdog that paid me 240000 off 20000 And then a month later, I did Conor McGregor. He was a little underdog to um, Aldo, and for, I hit that, hit that for 30000 And then the big one was M Misha Tate. You know, I hit $300,000 on Misha. But um, I knew Ronda was due for a loss. Um, a lot of parody in pro sports. It's very hard to run the table and win 10, 15 fights in a row. Um, Holly was a you know world class kickboxer boxer so I knew that if, if it went over a round I had a chance because Ronda usually finishes fights very fast and that's what happened with Misha because Holly looked to be on top of the world and obviously the stand up difference was apparent and Misha was three minutes away from losing how were you 
during that final round, during the fifth round. That's what I want to know. Like, what was your reaction? I was like, she's got to take her down one more time. Just get one takedown, one takedown. But I knew Misha was the one. I told Misha, um, I, we were on the air together. That's where we met for the first time when I won the Royals. And I picked Misha from that point on. I put it on MMA Junkie Radio. So, you know what? I'm going to make the largest bet in the history of UFC on you. And she's like, really? And I was like, if I'll take 100000 I'm going to bet 100000 on you. The most they would take was seventy-seven to win 300 and Misha, the, the truth is with Misha, I looked in the eyes, and I was like, God, she's a champion. She's so smart. She's very cerebral. She's, she's just a smart woman. And I knew that if she had brains like that and she had the experience, you know, she was going this fight. She was 17-5. Plus, she was battle-tested. You know, she's fought everybody, and she fought Ronda twice. So I thought it was a great opportunity, and I knew she didn't win this fight. She was going to retire. I just knew she was going to win. That's incredible faith. Uh, it seems like, so in the past three months, you've hit on three UFCs and a football championship. And the World Series. And the World Series in three or four months. Does that carry you through the whole year? Like, how much do you have to bet? Or do, you, do you now do so just because it's something you love? Well, I mean, in those last three, four months, it's close to like $6 billion. It's a big run. Uh, I've been 86 to pretty much all the casinos now. All the big casinos won't take my bets anymore. I have one place that will take my bets, but I'm not sure how much longer they're going to take it. So that's why I'm running the consulting side. The consulting side is where I sell picks. So I have thousands and thousands of players from all over the world that buy my picks, and I just email them the place, so I have money coming in on the side. Because eventually, I mean, these casinos don't like to lose. And I, I hit them pretty hard in the last four months. So I thought they were going to start kicking me out years on the road, but now um, it's already starting to happen. With that being said, how do you now continue your run of betting outside of consulting? Because consulting is great and you get multiple clients and everything. But you personally, there's other things that came along besides just the money. Like your brand grew because you yeah. hit these things. Yeah, I mean, it's just that's why I constantly, I'm always I mean, in the media, you know, but I'm trying to lay low now. I mean, I, I, hit, I, I hit my my business is doing so well. I set the foundation. So every day I'm selling packages. I'm, I'm, I'm signing people up. And the great thing is everyone comes to me. I don't go to them, you know. So everyone hears about me on the radio or the news or the media, and they reach out to me. I mean, trust me, I love the bet because it's a one-time opportunity. If I don't get the bet, I lost an opportunity. You're never going to see that again. And um, I'm just hoping this one casino will continue to take my bets. The ones, I mean, like I said, most of them have kicked me out, and there's a couple of them that limited me where I only can win $10,000. And to me, it's just I, not it's not worth it because of, to me it's a loss because if I would have won I would have bet a hundred thousand so I lost ninety thousand so no matter what if I can't get the limits I don't even want to bet. Talking about like you know just losing how and you said you had a tough run for the first four years how was that I mean how did you even go through that and stick it out and be like you know what I'm going to get through and it's going to turn around for me. supportive family you know. My parents didn't want me to do this. No one wants their child to be a gambler, you know. They wanted me to get an education. But I was always good at what I did. I could pick winners. Um, but I couldn't manage my money before. It was easy come, easy go. I had no respect for money. Um, I had to check myself into Gambling Anonymous. I didn't finish because I was always checking the scores. Then I'd be like, damn, I would have won again. I was right. But the problem, what I realized was, hey, I had the skill. I just couldn't manage my money. So when I realized that I had to have discipline and manage my money and not chase and not play every single game every single day, that's when I uh, transformed to more of a professional side of sports betting. You've gone through that. It's taken you to amazing places, uh, amazing events. You're everywhere now. You know, it's not hard for you to get in somewhere. Uh, 
with that being said, how do you now kind of fade to the background? It's like being the lead singer in a rock band and then going to write songs for someone. How, how do you do that? Well, I'm working on a book right now. I'm also working on a documentary with ESPN. Um, a couple of people approached me about shows, so I'm still going to be out there. I think TV's my calling because I'm a pretty entertaining character, but um, my passion is sports betting, you know, but eventually, you know, you know, it's all politics in the city. The casinos don't like to lose, and they don't want to take the bets. You can't fight them. There's nothing. I can't send runners. I'm not going to be illegal. You know, I have eyes watching me, so... When it's time to go, well, it's time to go, you know, so I have to find another avenue of money. So trying to start investing in real estate and do more stuff on media and television and radio. Now you have one casino left, taking the run. You were saying that your bet, your best bet is the MLB. Give us one team. Not even that's going to win it all because that's your bet. You actually have a business. People have to buy that. One team that was on the bottom of the league last year. That has a chance to make the playoffs. Oh, that you think is just going to make the playoffs? Because you picked the Royals 30 years without winning. Yeah, I mean, What's the turnaround team for this season? Texas. I mean, last. I mean, I hit about $580,000 on them last year. They are at the All-Star break. They were in last place, and to win that division, um, it was like plus some ridiculous amount. And um, I bet them to win, and they they beat Houston by one game and won the division. So I knew they were going to come back in the second half, and that team's still growing. A lot of people are sleeping on Texas. But um, they're going to get Hugh Darvish back this year from Tommy John. They have Cole Hamill, so they have two good pitchers. Um, they have the bats, and they have a good bullpen. So I'm not saying they're going to win it, but I'm just telling you that's a good sleeper team. Fight-wise, uh, boxing's kind of died off as far as betting and everything's concerned, but UFC is right up there. ton of fights just announced. There was just a press conference. UFC unstoppable. Any... I guess underdogs that you see coming up that you just really like John Jones and Daniel Cormier are fighting again. There's a lot of big fights coming up. Anyone where you have your eye on, like, man, this might be the next big play. Um, I like Jones in that fight. Uh, that circled. I haven't handicapped it yet. But the problem with that is gonna be like a close. Gonna be like a pickup minus yeah. one ten one. Is that what it is? Yeah. Okay. It's that's why showing I, up his pickup. That's why I just thought off the top of my head. So it's really not much value. I mean, if I want to, I want to hit a good dog. I want to hit a dog two to three hundred. Um, I'm not going to hit an 1100 dog like Holly Holm again, or the Misha fight was good at plus 300. But, you know, if, if it doesn't make sense, I'd rather stick to baseball. It doesn't mean I'm going to bet every single UFC event. I just had a good value with Holly, and I just knew that Misha was going to win. So I have to find value. Otherwise, I'd rather invest in baseball. Why didn't you take Nate to beat Connor? Because I had all my money in eggs and Misha, and I was that's the only fight I cared about. That's the only fight I handicapped. That's the only one I really cared. And plus, Nick, you know, they're so sporadic, the Diaz's. You don't know if they're going to be on or off that day. They're tough kids. And plus, he got called with three, three weeks of, you know, three weeks out. I didn't think he was – I didn't know if he was going to be mentally ready. Of course, he's to take the fight, but he wasn't prepared, I thought, um, the way Connor was supposed to be prepared. So I don't like to take fighters on short notice. You know, he got beat up pretty bad in that first round, but was able to submit him the second. How tough is it being a professional gambler and having a great run and everything and living in Vegas? Just the extracurriculars of Vegas. Is it tough? Is it fun? This is the side that people don't really get to hear about, you know, the, the perks and the downfalls of it. The perks, I mean, for me, I mean, I don't get anything for free because they know I'm a spender and I have money, so that's the bad thing. So, but... Nightclub life, I get whatever I want, whatever table, whatever waitress I want. I can go to any club, do whatever I want, never wait in line. Same with restaurants. But the downfall is that people expect you to spend. Um, they know you have money. People always want to come and say hi to you. They all want to drink for free. They all want to be your friend. 
And, you know, 99% of the people in Vegas are fake, you know. So it's just you got to keep your circle, circle small. And um, I'm, just getting, I'm getting tired of Vegas, actually, you know. Like, I'm getting burnt out. If my family wasn't here, I would, I, I would move. What's your next move? Like, what, what's next for you? Where do you go? Do you retire off into the sunset now that you're just giving picks to other people? What's left here in Vegas if you can't go to the casinos and gamble? My family. I've been very close to my family. I mean, I'm, I'm working on a book deal and a documentary. So I'm working on a couple projects that's going to keep me busy. I'm going to keep betting until they say no more. So hopefully I have another year left here. Um, and then from there, I can retire. I mean, I can retire right now. But I, I have a passion for sports. I have a passion for making money. And I, I like helping people. So I help a lot of people make money with my bets. Uh, let everyone know where they can find, obviously, your site and sign up and try to get some money for themselves. Uh, my website's www.itsvegasdave.com. Again, itsvegasdave.com. Follow me on social media, Twitter and Instagram, at itsvegasdave, and my Facebook fan page, which is just vegasdave. Uh, great. Uh, thanks for taking time out. And uh, obviously, busy time, March Madness, and tons of bets and everything. But, man, thank you for doing the show. No problem. Thanks for having me. For the ones standing guard, for the eagle-eyed, for the knights in shining armor, and for all those who support them, we are Granger, your experienced safety partner, offering supplies and solutions for every industry, committed to helping keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com/safety or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.